and welcome to episode 195 of Effect. We are the Coriolis Council. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And we've got two big things to talk about today. So um, we've got quite a lot of stuff to talk about in World of Gaming. Uh, it's uh, It's been a bumper couple of weeks, so there's lots to talk about there. Um, uh, and then the whole uh, rest of the show is going to be a main event about Coriolis. And in fact, it's the fireside chat that my co-host Matthew and a bunch of others are having with Ricard Antroyo, the writer of Mercy of the Icons Part 3, Awake of the Icons. Um, later on today, in terms of re- times of recording. So uh, <clears throat> that's going to be really interesting. Though, I would, I, would, I would caution, it's really interesting for everyone but the players. Because this is a GM exclusive. If you listen to this, you are going to get spoilers galore about the campaign. So if you're a player, sad as it is to say to a listener, don't listen to the second half of the show, um, don't listen to the second half of the show. Because otherwise, you might spoil the campaign for yourself. Um, yeah, I think players would still find it interesting. They would just, as you say, spoil all their fun. Yeah, and what's the point of spoiling your fun if you uh, if you're yeah. going to be a player in a game? So, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we've got today. It's still going to be a bumper show. There's lots to talk about, and um, oh yeah, so um, this is going to be a long one. What with the if you're a GM, that is, and uh, hanging around for the Coriolis chat. Um, but yeah, it's still we've got a lot to talk about in the world of gaming. Just about the only thing we're cutting out of this episode is saying thank you to uh, our new patrons because we don't have any. So <laughs> no new patrons yeah. this, this this time, but that's fine. Um, I'm sure you're all out there just waiting to decide to come and join us. But remember, we do have our lovely Discord. We have a fabulous, fabulous group of patrons already. As we said, it is the nicest place on the internet. So come and join us. There's loads of stuff going on, and um, yeah, come and join. Come and join the crew, the crowd. Um, yeah. So with that, let's go straight into the world of gaming then. So first thing to note: some people are now getting their delivery of Blade Runner, but not yes. on this side, not on our side of the ocean yet. So backers in the US are now reporting the arrival of their Blade Runner stuff, which is great. Yeah, so there's lots of photographs on Facebook of uh, both the basic edition core book and the fancy uh, luxury version and also the boxed set, the starter set. Um, so lucky them. Indeed. Now, yeah. the last um, the last free league fulfillment didn't go so well for our American cousins. They, they've only just got their copies of um, Cyborg. Yeah. So that was a bit delayed. So it's good that they're getting in advance this time. As I understand it, uh, the starter set in the UK or going to the the starter set has been a bit delayed getting to the distributors here in the UK. So and of course the UK distributors do the rest of Europe as well. So that's been the challenge uh, on this side of the pond. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, but I mean, you know, However, I, think, I think I think we all recognise now, and you know, if we didn't before, you know, Kickstarters arrive when they arrive. So yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I for one, have never really got a bit, you know, exercised about 
a Kickstarter arriving. You know, when I when I back something, I get kind of fire and forget, and then it's a lovely little surprise when it does turn up on the doorstep. So, um, uh, although I do get that yeah. some some other people are, you know, maybe are planning games and they're expecting it to arrive by a certain time to start a game on a certain date, in which case, yeah, it could be getting quite frustrating. But uh, yeah, it'll, now it'll be here soon. Don't worry. It'll be here soon. I think it will be here very soon because we got sent a review copy, a PDF, that is, of uh, of Blade Runner with an embargo because we're on the sort of press run now. And that embargo says, is asking, um, you know, proper review sites, not us, um, to not talk about it until the 13th of December. So I'm guessing that's when Free League expect for it to go into retail. So yeah. I think even with the delay, they're expecting most of the backers to have got their copies um, the next by the 13th weeks. of December. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's very good. And it does look absolutely stunning. I haven't read it in any depth yet, but um, I like, you know, you know me, I like to read the physical books rather than the PDFs. Yes. So yeah. PDFs yeah, are great absolutely. for me. For having a quick look and going, oh, isn't the artwork lovely? But um, sitting down and having a good read, I like I like a physical book for that. Yes, I haven't even opened the PDF, but but then I've been reading um, uh, the PDF of Wake of the Icons, of course. So that's of been course. my <clears throat> PDF of choice. Uh, <laughs> we are not going to be short though of reading material because I see Free League have announced yet another game. <laughs> they keep coming thick and fast, don't they? Um, almost like uh, a horde of walkers coming towards you. Their, games, <laughs> their game lines are just everywhere. And that was a really, really shit segue into uh, this is The Walking Dead, or The Walking Dead Universe, as they are calling it. Um, which, yeah. for me, well, I mean, that's really exciting. I absolutely love The Walking Dead. Um, although, having said that, I haven't finished season 10 yet, because um, it starts to get a bit say me um but i will definitely finish you know i felt that after the first few episodes of season two dave <laughs> well this, this is a big thing you see because the first few episodes of season two was the it was like the it's like the um the, the giant filter in evolution that doesn't allow species to go on to become intelligent species if oh, you can't yes. get through the first few episodes of season two then you're missing a lot of really good stuff so I, mm. I, I totally get that. The first half of season two, they didn't really know what they were doing. They were stuck for budget. So they ended up having to film it all on the farmhouse where they meet um, Maggie and her dad. I can't remember what his name was. Some fabulous characters. Ah. So, so they really got stuck there. And a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't get past the first few episodes of season two. And I totally get that because they're not very good. But if you do get past that, the, the second half of season two... And seasons three, four, and five—I mean, they're all—they're all superb. They're absolutely brilliant stuff. It then begins when they hit Negan. Spoilers: when they hit Negan, it becomes—they run into a problem because they—they kind of don't know what to do with him. Now you have a mm. whole season of them fighting Negan, which actually was really good. And what's his name? Oh, Morgan something something, the guy who played comedian in Watchmen. Anyway, the guy who plays uh, Negan. Uh, um- I was going to call him Alan Dean Morgan, but it's not. No, it's not. Um, it's not. It's not Harry. I don't remember. The guy who I'll plays the comedian in Watchmen. He's, 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 he's brilliant. Um, and he's mm. given 
lots of latitudes to really love playing Negan. And Negan is a brutal, sadistic bastard. But he's great in the role. But you get to the end of that season and you're basically reset to the beginning of the season. And the Jeffrey, whole next season... Jeffrey like basically, Dean Morgan. It's based Jeffrey Dean Morgan, yeah. Um, yeah. And so the next season after that is just kind of the same story again. And it's just like, oh, oh, why, oh. why did you do that? Which is really poorly done. Um, but I mean, So hold on. So what you're saying is, uh, if you can get past the first part of season two, it gets really good right through season three. But then season four is a bit of a replay of season No, 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 no. See, uh, Negan doesn't come into it till about season six or seven. All right. Okay. So, you know, it's great. There's lots of really good stuff. Um, but uh, anyway, as a role-playing game, I've often said something like Twilight 2000 would make a, a really good system for doing a Walking Dead kind of game. I, I love that sort of apocalypse survival game where, you know, th- th- these are the kind of video games that I really love yeah. playing as well. You know, like, like sort of base-building apocalyptic zombie survival games. I love them. Ah. So, as, yeah, and, you know, test- this test- is something testament that... My- testament my 3000 hours of playing seven days to die over the last 10 years um which is a great game if you like M- minecraft with zombies and better graphics um that, that's the minecraft game. is minecraft with zombies i just want to point that out <laughs> well seven days to die is is well okay it's, it's the same kind of building dynamic in it so if you love base building but you, you like exploring and looting and shooting zombies and running away from zombies quite often as well um so yeah, Walking Dead for me is is a is 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 really really up my street. I think they're going to be doing it in the traditional Year Zero engine, which is good news. I like D six dice pools, you mean, rather than um, polyhedrals? Yes, yeah, yeah, traditional Year Zero engine. Yeah, mm. um, I like that as an idea because I, I you know, I can understand why they went down the polyhedral two dice system for Twilight Two Thousand. I. I'm not convinced it needed it. So I'm playing Twilight 2000. Yeah, go on. <clears throat> with um, with uh, the other Dave, our patron Dave. Yeah, and yeah. it's a great game. Um, he's tweaked it a bit, so it's less about the Russians and more about aliens, which is yes, I, I like think good for that. the times. Um, I, I, there are. I'm already uh, rubbing up against the whole um, uh, polyhedral thing because. I'm quite good at sneaking. I've got an A in the the attribute and a B in the skill. Uh, well, I can't remember it's sneaking. I've got, anyway, um, it's not called sneaking. I can't remember the skill. Anyway, I, I'm a, so I roll a D12 and a D10. Now, if I get plus two on that, I can only turn my D10 into a D12 that's as far as you go is roll two dice and they can both be d12 um and you know i've only just started playing the game so i'm feeling a little bit like hmm. you've back you've maxed out already kind of thing <clears throat> you know yeah i mean you know there's plenty of things i can't do and things i yeah. can improve it's not like um i can't develop my character any further but i'm just noticing that you know on one roll right at the beginning of the game i can't get any really get much better than i actually am apart from the point yeah. where I can roll, I guess, you know, 2d12 every time, but then bonuses have zero effect. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, why have a bonus? So, yeah, so that's, I, that's, I, that's, that's, that's interesting, actually. Let me just ask a question. So, in 
so your 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 dice pool there of a d12 and a d10 was that something that came out of presumably character creation yeah out of and, um, you, could, and you could be that good in character creation yes with a, with a brand new character yes okay maybe that's the mistake because you've got a character who's almost the best in the world at something straight out of character um, creation yeah, uh, see, of course, I can't really. I haven't got my character sheet on with, on me because it's on roll twenty. Yeah. But you know, we went through the random character generation as well. Uh, so I, you know, and if you like, I, I took the um, uh, I took a civilian character path. I'm a criminal, so uh, you know, I've I've done, I've, I've done prison. I've done well. I've done pretty much each of the criminal careers. Right. Um, and. And I'm, you know, uh, the, the, oh, shit, I honestly can't remember what the actual stats are. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm no good at coolness under fire. I've got zero coolness under fire. Yeah, um, yeah obviously, uh, you're not going to be great at everything, but you, yeah. you are you are almost the world's best thief or sneaking person. Yeah, and it's and the thing is, it's quite case. easy to be Which, pretty good. Not necessarily the world's yeah. best, but pretty good. Actually, I yeah, I don't get the impression with two D twelve or D twelve and a D ten, I don't have any feeling that I'm the world's best at a thing because you know I've rolled those two D twelve on more than one occasion, and just you know got, got no five and a one or whatever yeah. and and failed. So I don't get yeah, I get zero impression I'm the world's best. Um, yeah, okay, well that's, yeah. that's that's a fair that's an interesting reflection on it, isn't it? Mm. Um, but anyway, back to Walking Dead. Um, I'm pleased that they're doing it in the D6 dice pool system. I think it works. And, you know, if there's any players out there who've played both Twilight 2000 and War Stories, you can let us know how you think um, a D6 dice pool works as opposed to the polyhedrals in a kind of combat style of game. Um, but, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. I would, I would, I would very much like to write for it because it's exactly the kind of thing that I really enjoy. Um, I thought but, you'd be writing a letter to um, or an email oh, yeah, to yeah, Thomas saying done already yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so they must be getting bored with me because every time they come out with a really cool IP I, I, I send them an email and say hey guys congratulations by the way I'd love to work on it if you need any help <laughs> so um, you never know you never know yeah. then you ask all they can do is well, say it's, no. I mean they've announced so, it a long way ahead haven't they because this isn't going to hit yeah. Kickstarter till next spring yeah um so I'm kind of intrigued by that. I, you know, have they got a lot of development time? Do they need uh, you to write some stuff for them? Um, it'd be lovely if they did. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's interesting. It looks like they're also going for a, um, uh, they're going quite strong on the stronghold again, mm. which I think in which in, which I think is right for the um, for the genre, as it were, I, or for I that particular right, fiction. I, I think it's right for the genre. I there's something. So in, in the alien stuff that I've been doing um, with all the colony stuff, I've always said that the planet that your colony is on is a character in itself. And that, mm -hmm. that planet and your location is, is so important to, to, to the campaign. And they've kind of gone down a similar sort of approach, at least um, you know, in, in, public, you know, in expressing their ideas in Walking Dead. Now, I... I don't get a sense in in The Walking Dead that your location is a character in itself. 
Mm. It's it's a place that you build. It's a place that you collectively, you know, as a community, you create it and you defend it. And you, you know, I'm not sure it has the same kind of feeling to me that it should be almost a character in the way that the planet that you're on in a colony game is should be a character in itself. So it'll be interesting mm. to see how that develops. I mean, they 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 did a great. Uh, you know the early game Mutant Year Zero had a great arc stronghold dynamic loved it worked really well I, I think in Coriolis I was a little disappointed that the ship is is kind of just your ship it's not got the same kind of stronghold yeah I, I really that we, feel that we thought a it third was. edition of Coriolis could have a better ship rules yeah um, and something that makes definitely. it your makes it that arc and that stronghold um, yeah. I, th- I think in Forbidden Lands, the stronghold um, rules are are great, but it's just so damn hard to earn enough to be able to create a stronghold that actually is is anyway meaningful. It kind of it rubs the rubs the shine off that stronghold dynamic a little bit. So I'm hoping that in this one, um, they'll they'll kind of come back a little bit to the arc style or that kind of principle, and it'll be it'll be much more an important part of the game. Because, you know, in both Forbidden Lands and Coriolis, I, I don't feel, you know, the, the, the pull or the, the warmth of the stronghold that I do in Mutant Year Zero. So I think they've kind of missed the trick slightly there. And hopefully Walking Dead will bring them back to getting that right. Yeah, I don't think any of the... So Mutant Year Zero, I, which I haven't played, but I did create a stronghold with you before i realized yes. that i wasn't going to make the, it wasn't going to happen yeah the time and that was great fun i love that and also i love that sort of very simple and yet i think quite effective um mechanics are kind of stronghold politics or or, or arc politics that was going on there yeah. um which was quite limiting in many ways so it's not as uh i don't think it's as free as necessarily what you've written for alien or what we're writing for um, Tales of the Old West. It's not, yeah. it's not quite as deep. Um, but actually, through its limitations, it meant then it made a very neat and evocative system that was just enough to really make your stronghold feel something important to you. Yeah, so I absolutely. think that was marvellous. And I don't think anything that the Free League guys have written or, you know... Uh, I, I I I can't speak about Tales of the Old West because um, obviously we love it, but I, whether anybody else. Will, <laughs> but I don't think anything they've written since, in terms of that base building, has been effective as that arc in Mutant no, Year Zero. Completely agree. Yeah. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how The Walking Dead uh, comes out. I think Nils Hints is the the man behind the work for The Walking Dead. Cool. So he's got a good track record. He's a damn good creator. So it ought to be good. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah. I I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. No, no, that's good. Okay, so um, you're obviously going to uh, try and get in there and start writing it. Obviously, <laughs> uh, for the rest of us, uh, we're going to have to wait until um, spring to kickstart. I don't think this is one. Even if you write on it, I'm going to kickstart it though, mate. Sorry, I just Shocking. don't like zombies. I mean, I don't. I I don't dislike no, zombies. Um, I'll tell you what, I do want to give a shout out now for Red Markets, the game that our uh, Mm, listener and patron Toby ran for us, because that does something with zombies. And I can't I can't see how these zombies are going to be different from 
any of the other zombies in any of the other zombie role-playing games, of which there are many, um, yes. none of which have grabbed my attention, apart from Red Markets. Yeah, I didn't play that game, so I'd, I'd be very keen to to, to have a cool. little look at Red Markets and see what's see what see what's see what's drawn you and Toby to to it so strongly. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard it, I've heard I've heard our patrons saying very positive things about the games that that Toby ran. Yeah, um, so we yeah. shall have to we shall have to get Toby to run you a game at some point. Um, I have to, yeah, I have to do one on on our YouTube. That would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. now um, moving on. I'm very excited about the next game we're going to talk about. A million times more excited, even though it's uh, coming from Chaosium. Well, well I say even though it sounds like Chaosium. <laughs> That's damning, isn't it? Uh, I'm really excited uh, about this game, uh, except for the fact that Chaosium are doing it. That's a bit, no, 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 that's, that's not harsh. what I meant at all. I love that Chaosium are doing it. They're, they're producing some great material at the moment. I'm not the biggest fan of basic role-playing, to be, no. you know. I mean, it was great at the time. I, you know, I loved it when I was moving out of D&D way back when we were first starting to role-play games. Yeah. Um, I have a bit of a problem. Well, actually, interestingly... One of the biggest problems I have with it is the plethora of skills. And one of the things I love about free league games is you get 12 or 16. Yeah. Um, and whereas you get, you know, what feels like a character sheet full of skills in really, really small type. Almost unlimited, um, really. In fact, yeah. Now, you have as many as you this want. game, though, is um, The Rivers of London. It's based on the book that I know I've told you about, but I don't think any of you that you've ever read any of them. Um, I've never read any of them, no. Um, you do talk uh, about so, them quite a lot. Uh, quite a lot. So just to remind everybody, it's a police procedural set in a supernatural version of modern-day London. So um, you are working for the magic division of the police, uh, effectively, and you're dealing with fairies and other things that go bump in the night. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm very excited by that setting. I was. So, so this I, is this. So but just before you move on, so this is a basic role playing system because for some reason I had it in my mind. I thought it was five e. No, no, it's basic role playing, which is nice, it's, isn't it? Okay. You know that not every new license that comes out is five e. No, I totally uh, agree. Absolutely, I wasn't. I wasn't saying it should be five e. I was no. just for some reason I thought I read somewhere that it was, but I'm getting myself confused, perhaps. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what the magic system is like, uh, because the magic in the books is, well, effectively, it's Newtonian magic. Um, There is a copy of Newton's Book of Magic, basically, in the police station Mm. where everything's set, and you do everything in a very scientific way. Um, And although I'm I'm not generally a fan of that skill-based system of of basic role-playing, I'm kind of excited by... Hopefully, fingers crossed, they've done a really good magic system for it. Because in the books, there's a kind of thing like you have to learn the skill of creating fire and then the skill of pushing things before you can create, say, a fireball. So you've got to use two skills effectively to do some stuff. And there's a lot of sort of bringing stuff together to make a spell according to a set of magical laws of physics, for want of a better Mm -hmm. word. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of excited to see how they've managed to emulate that. And actually I'm beginning to think, well, maybe this is a good system to have one where there's loads of skills and, um, you know, your party has got to 
have a good mix of characters because somebody who's good at magic would have spent all their time learning about magic and won't necessarily be as good at um, some of the other police procedural skills you need. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited by it. And it's being launched in PDF uh, on the 30th of this month. That's the 30th of November. November or December? November. November. So it's coming out. In the the notes, notes you put December. Yeah, I'm wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So, So this is interesting. So I... I've often thought about um, trying to create a magic system in a role-playing game that feels a bit like what you're describing you would like to see in, in Rivers of London. That um, mm. you know, The best way I could describe it is there was a fabulous um, computer game called um, Magica, where you play a little, a little berobed you know, magician who runs around using his magic. But you have four skills of magic. Which are basically one of each, one you know one of four buttons, and the yeah. combinations that you use of those four schools give you. Well, in the game, I don't know. There must be a limited number, but I don't think I ever came across it. Um, but but in in a role playing game, I like the idea that almost you just have four magic skills, and then you as a player have to use your imagination to combine them to give you the effect that you're after. So, like you say, you know, you need to have a fire and you know, projection or something in order to do a fireball or a, you know, a flamethrower or something. So I, I love, I love that idea. And then you, you, then you don't need pages and pages of spells. You don't need, you know, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of things, uh, you know, that pay- players, Great are, lists players of, have got to of... just work their way through. The player comes up with the idea, uses their magic school, um, you know, maybe dice combined from the two of them. And then the GM, depending on how elaborate the effect is, the GM might put on a modifier and make it a bit harder. Um, but then it's entirely up to the player how they use their magic. So I love that idea. Now, the way you were describing Rivers of London kind of feels that that might be a a, a similar kind of thing, that a line that they could go down for this. So well, that's definitely an opportunity for them. Whether they have or not, we'll have to wait and we'll, see. We'll find out <laughs> in three days. I, I assume but you're going to get... You're going to get the PDF on on the 30th. Definitely buying the PDF. So, yeah, Yeah. and it's worth pointing out, this isn't a Kickstarter. Um, Interestingly, they haven't gone down that route. If you buy the PDF in three days, then when they bring the hardback out, you'll get the cost of the PDF off your hardback if you want a hardback. Okay, that's cool. So, so, you know, you are kind of helping the development of the game and i'm sure you know this first pdf is going to have a bunch of mistakes in it and typos and stuff that people are going to spot and so by the time the hardback Mm. comes out um it will have been slightly edited by the crowd as it were yeah so uh, yeah i'm very excited we'll put a a link in the show notes for that because i mean listen to what you're saying i'm 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 kind of tempted to to pick that up actually and and have a look at it um Okay, so there's something about police procedurals as a role-playing game that I really like. I mean, I really enjoyed Judge Dredd back in mm. the day, where as a, certainly almost as a as a GM and as a player, it takes a little bit of that pressure off you because you know the opening scene in a Judge Dredd. It's well, I always did it as the Hill Street Blues opening scene, where you got yeah. a number a number of reports, and then you know you pick on you pick the one you want to go and explore, or you know maybe get assigned one of them. And, and and that that takes some of the like the the heavy mental lifting off because you've got your start for every game. You don't need to contrive something or have have a a friend come into the bar and fall down dead with a scrap of paper in their hand or something, which is 
you know, kind of a standard trope for this kind of thing. So I always quite mm. like that. I mean, it, it can be a bit limiting, I think, but actually it's, um, I like it. And I haven't played a game like that for quite a long time. So it's, uh, it, yeah, just having this conversation is, this is the first time you've made me go, hmm, Rivers of London, maybe I will take a look. <laughs> so uh, Good. well done. Good, uh, um, well, good work. So I think, and it's by um, uh, Paul Fricker, who is, uh, well, we've met at Dragon Meat. I think Paul Fricker's behind the um, Good Friends of um, Jackson Elias, or whatever, podcast, okay. who does, um, uh, you know, so he's a fellow podcaster like you and I, um, and, you know, obviously has a deep love of Rivers of London. Um, I think it should be quite good. Maybe wait until I've bought it. I can have a quick look at the magic system. Then I can tell you whether it's... See if it's shit or not. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I wouldn't want nice. to disappoint you and make you buy a thing that you haven't... That's you, true. You haven't got. I, I'll, let, I'll, 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 let, I'll let you report back first then and see whether I, I should waste my money on it or not. <laughs> and while we're talking about investigating other world mysteries, I think it's mm-hmm. worth saying that Vesson's Seasons of Mystery is hitting retail on the 6th of Six. December. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And um, mm. it's funny, I, I thought that was already out, having, of course, kickstarted it. It's taken a little bit longer than I realised to hit the stores. Yeah. Because um, I know um, the, the UK, the Britain and Ireland is out because my colleagues at the um, game shop have spotted it and uh, seen my name in the front and yours, obviously, but they don't care about yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> they go, oh, Matthew, you know Dave Seamark. Wow. God, how cool. <laughs> uh no the, the, nobody's ever said that to me <laughs> ever just ever. you wait just you ever wait. dave <laughs> um uh, and cool. while we're on a mystery kick uh i'll just say this i know how much you love star trek adventures um and i noticed I, that medivius are uh, and we'll put a link in the shadow to this as well of course i, I do bringing love star out trek adventures Good, good. Well, this is a 1960s, which is to say the original series um, flavour set of mysteries mm. that they're bringing out for players of that game. Cool. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and there's there's and, definitely a bit of me that just lo- does love the original series as a era to play in. I mean, well, having said I've got that, a s- all, all the Star Trek adventures I've played have been in the Next Generation era. Yeah. But... Um, I do remember the good old Fassa Star Trek, where you were ba- yeah. Yeah, that was that was before the Next Generation, so you you only play, you know you could only play in the original series, and that was great. Yeah, we, there's, there's there was no something... Next Generation in those days. No, there's definitely something quite romantic and nostalgic about playing in the um, the original series era for sure. Well, I've always been more of a fan of Next Generation than the original series, um, but of course I I'm now a super fan of Strange New Worlds. Which is just before the original series. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant, Dave. You'll love it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, kind of more interested in playing some original series adventures because, in my head, there'd be strange new worlds adventures. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely um, want to see that. Yeah, so you've definitely. It's, para- it. it's Paramount Plus, isn't it? That one. Paramount Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Get it for a month, then. Dave, and then and then yeah. have the subscription. Yeah, and there's like 1883, which you have to watch on that as well. Yes. And actually, I noticed yeah, yeah. Paramount Plus has also got um, Deadwood. 
if you are okay. feeling short. Maybe I'll get it for yeah. a couple of months and binge watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I've they they were showing Deadwood on some um, obscure now Sky TV Channel, and I oh, was right, recording yeah. it. And then, I, but obviously, I didn't. I don't know. They stopped showing it, so I only got to record about half of a series, mm. which is a real pity because I was going to record it and just keep it on my my Skybox forever. Yeah. Um, but uh, not to be. So maybe I need to, like you say, go and go and get Paramount Plus for for a month or two. That would be a plan. Things. Yeah, that sounds good. And I think mm, I think next? there might be some deal on Paramount Plus with Sky if you've got Sky. Check out check out what Sky are offering you for Paramount okay. Plus. Um, can't remember. Yeah. It might come free with something else like movies or something. Um, oh right. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I don't need the movies, but. Yeah, anyway, so um, we have a, a a couple of conventions coming up. Now, firstly, we've got PAX Unplugged um, in the US. And at that, the One Ring is up for a, an award, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's up for the Tabletop Awards, which I must admit I've never heard of before. Now, hmm. I've done a bit of detective work in this. And... Um, I have discovered that, oh, damn, I can't remember which company. I think PAX is owned by somebody like Rita Sylvia, you know, the big publishing house. Okay. Uh, and and events thing. And I think so is Dicebreaker, the, the British tabletop gaming website. And so uh, I think tabletop gaming is a kind of combination of PAX and Dicebreaker. Um, uh creating these these awards um there doesn't seem to be any opportunity to vote i think uh you can vote for a kind of um the people's prize but you can put any game you want down for that one right uh, so yeah. i'm not quite sure how that's going to work but i don't think you can vote for um the one ring or anything i think that's okay. a judging it's, panel it's just it's a judge panel yeah yeah um but yeah oh, that's so, exciting so where is pax unplugged i'm just having a quick look is it California somewhere? Oh. No, I think it's somewhere weird, oh, no. like Denver. It's, no, it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia, not yeah. weird. Well, now, I mean, now I don't know whether it's always. Does it move around? There's a lot of packs, and yeah. I don't know whether Pax Unplugged moves around. Um, but I think there's Pax South and Pax West or something. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, this is the second to the fourth of December in Philadelphia. So if 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 uh, if you are um, in that neck of the woods, then uh, go and have a have a have a uh, have a look. Um, but obviously, the one that's more important, well, for us anyway, is Dragon Meat, which again is also coming up. Um, well, Saturday the third of December, but for us it's a Friday to Sunday thing, as we will be getting ready um, to set up and man the stall for Free League. So we will be there all weekend. Can't wait, actually. Uh, it's uh, it's such good fun. I, I I love UK Games Expo, but UK Games Expo becomes a bit of a, a, a like an endurance test because it's like three days. Whereas um, just being the one day for Dragon Meat, it's not quite such hard work in that sense. And you, get, you know, I get a couple of evenings, a Friday and a Saturday, to to meet up with lovely people and have a beer and chill out a little bit. And we're all in the same hotel, so we don't need to go so far. So it's, mm. uh, it's a really nice, neat little compact um, compact convention. So, uh, yeah, if you're coming along, come along and see us. 
We are in the upper trade hall this year, or like we were last year. We are stand 22. So we're on the end okay. of one of the one of the banks of stands. And um, yeah, we will be there all day. Come and find us. Come and say hello. Can't wait to see you. We're very excited about that. I do just want to point out that Free League are also at PAX Unplugged. Okay, yeah. Is, is Doug so running that for If them? you're in America listening to this right now and you're thinking, how am I going to get to London to see you guys at the Free League stand? Well, you could go and see the Free League stand at booth 3447, room 116 at PAX Unplugged, which suggests to me there's a lot more going on at PAX Unplugged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's three, four, four. Was it five figures? The number for the no, booth? three four four seven in room one hundred and sixteen. Right. But still, that's uh, you know three thousand four hundred and forty-seven stands. If it's yeah, if that if the logic follows, so, uh, yeah, that's big. That's and big. what stand number are we at in in, in Dragon we are, Meat? We are twenty-two. Twenty-two. <laughs> it's easier in, to remember. Come to London, even if you're in America. Come to London, where it'll be upper, easier to the find us hall, in the upper trade hall. Yeah. Yeah, where we were. If you were there last year, it's the same hall that we were in last year. We're in a slightly different position. Um, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. And who and who have we got? We've got. So we're going to be there all day. Um, given that you want to sneak off and talk to your new friends at Modifius. Um <laughs> but we've also got uh, about four guys from um, from uh, Stockholm Cartel. Sorry, Stockholm Cartel coming. Words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got, so, uh, Yo- got Johan Noor, we've got, um, uh, oh, I've forgotten his first name, Damien Sarlan, Damien, I think, sorry, um, and a couple of others. So we've also got, um, uh, they're not going to be with us all day, they're not actually coming to work on, on the booth with us, they're just coming for a jolly. But mm. if you wanted to get any of your Merc Boyer uh, or... Uh, Oh, what's the other one? Oh, my brain this morning. It is Sunday morning and I haven't had a cup of tea yet. Um, um, Cyborg. Cyborg. Uh, what's the other one? Death, uh, Death in, in Space. space. And yeah. and there's another one. Out out something. Uh, anyway, anything out. by Stockholm Cartel. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a really good job for spinning these guys. Um, two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. The guys will be at the booth for a signing session. So if you are interested and want to come and meet them and chat to them and get your book signed, come along, two o'clock, booth 22, and they will be there, getting in our way, I'm sure, without a doubt. Getting in our... No, they won't be getting in our way, because we've got (laughs) double this... Well, we've got about the same amount of booth space as we had before, but but I'm sure sure we'll be fine. Um, I'm sure we'll be fine too. But yes, yes. come along and see them. Two o'clock on Saturday, booth 22. Brilliant. Nice, nice. Brilliant. Um, but yes, also, just to say, if anybody, uh, you know, anybody's coming and is around on Friday or Saturday evening, give us a shout. Definitely up for a beer. Um, as soon so, as yeah. we've set up the stand or broken down the stand, depending on what evening it is. Yeah, that won't take, that doesn't take very long, though. Did right, almost, okay, I'll let you do it, it yourself it, then. Did it almost on my own last time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, tell so, you what, I'll be in the bar, so come and see me. And, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, well, it must, be, must be your turn to do the donkey work, not mine. So uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll be around. So um, I one of the things I love so much about the conventions is getting to to, to catch up with old friends and and new friends alike. So um, 
yeah, come and say hello. It'll be it'll be lovely to to, to see you. And uh, talking of um, old friends and new friends alike, it's time for me to tell you to go away, Dave. <laughs> so it is. I know. Um, cool. Well, that's it for me for this show. So I will <laughs> just say, um, may the icons bless your conventions. Good evening, folks. Welcome to like a slightly odd scheduled garb. We don't stream at the weekends. My name's Millie. Welcome to Garbage Games. Um, yeah, so um, if you joined us on Tuesday for Coriolis when we were playing Shenanigans in Space, uh, I mentioned that we would be here live and uh, we would be talking to some cool people about Coriolis. Um, and I've brought some cool people here. Um, how's this? Yeah. So, so the, what we're going to do tonight is a lot, a lot, a lot of spoilers for all of Coriolis, like everything, not just like the big campaigns, but all the individual weird bits as well, probably. Um, and there are many individual weird bits in Coriolis. It's wonderful. Um, so we will cover all of that. If you don't want any of that spoiling. Just stop watching. Go away. Um, come back in 6, 12, 18 months when you have experienced all the weird and wonderful bits of Coriolis. Um, and then you can watch it, listen to it, whatever you fancy. Um, the, this this show as well tonight is going to be podcasted um, for the Effect podcast. If you've never listened to the Effect podcast before, go and do it. Um, a, there is a wealth of Coriolis in there, a wealth and aliens and um, forbidden. Um, I always get it. I always forbidden call it forbidden realms. Yeah, forbidden realms. I want to call it. Lands. It's not, it's no, not realms. realms. That's an entirely different What's- IP. Lost Realms is different to Forbidden Lands. Yeah, I get it all wrong. But there's a wealth of stuff over there. Um, so go and check it out. Also, you can see me in some of them pretending to be uh, a lost little space girl. A dirty little space Sugoi. Uh, in this, in in this very there. campaign, what we are talking about. In this very campaign, yeah. Um, so I'm going to stop rambling um, and let the podcast host take over. <laughs> all right. You, Matthew. So hi, yeah, I'm Matthew. That was I'm um, host of the uh effect podcast which used to be called the coriolis effect and used to be all about coriolis uh, and then blooming free league went and made a bunch more games that we quite enjoy as well so uh we had to change the name and now we talk about a lot of them um i also run a stream on our little used um youtube channel it also appears on twitch but seriously who watches twitch nowadays um <laughs> Uh, so you can find you can find a good chunk of our campaign on the stream and also in the effect uh, AP, which is the um, actual play feed of the effect podcast. Now, I, I kind of feel I ought to um, introduce the next person who, given that we're talking about a campaign uh, uh, that's written by, well, in, in great part by Ricard, I think Ricard should be the next to speak. Yeah. Um... Sure, I I've written a campaign for <laughs> for Coriolis specifically. I've been working for, with Free League for quite some time, doing some fixes and 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 uh, whatnots on other other uh, titles as well, um, Tales from the Loop, etc. But uh, Coriolis has been the the bulk, I would say. Uh, and um, as we're closing in on uh, the release of the third book. Uh, and the campaign and I thought it was nice that we would just sit here together by the fire of the burning bridge and uh, talk about uh, all the spoilers 
uh, all the thoughts. Uh, now, now you can't affect it anymore. So now, uh, just let let go of like just 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 pour in all the suggestions, yeah. ideas, and uh, and uh, comments uh, on the campaign. Uh, and the Coriolis at large, I think. I'd uh, love to talk about Coriolis. I've been living with Coriolis for quite a few years now. So uh, it would be nice to just have this chat together. Uh, and I'll uh, I'll uh, pass the torch to James, I think, who has been messaging me uh, during his campaign uh, avidly. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ricard. So yeah, obviously a huge fan of it. Um, I have done some work in role-playing games. I've written for a couple of games, The One Ring, Expanse. Um, I've also done a lot of music for a lot of games that people might know me for, so uh, things like 13, 13th Age and Exalted. Um, but yeah, really tonight here, I'm just here as a games master, and the fact that I'm a huge fan of Coriolis, and as Ricard said, had a long chance to chat with him about my experiences through the through the campaign. So yeah, looking forward to talking about it, and I'll hand over to Jonathan. Hi, uh, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I do not have anywhere near the caliber of experience of anyone else here. I don't stream. I don't podcast. I don't write campaigns. I don't write music for for role playing games. Um, I am but a, a humble uh, game master who has lofty ideas about this particular game and the setting defining campaign that we've come to discuss. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to share some of that. This is stuff I've been planning uh, since I found Coriolis, and I just haven't quite been able to get into the actual playing of it. Um, I had a, a daughter about a year and a half ago, which kind of you know really limited my ability to play, but I've still been able to find time to plan stuff. So that's where uh, that's where I'm coming from. Cool. And I should also say, that you are a, an occasional character player in in my campaign. Yes, that's so true. Quite what yeah. you're doing here, where you're going to have the whole thing spoiled for you before the end. Uh, I we, well, we can talk about that actually. <laughs> I, think, I think I think that's one of the things that we can talk about being a, a, a game master, but also a player, and and finding that balance. So we can talk about that. Um, but yes, I you can find me playing a character on. The effect podcasts mercy of the icons actual play cool and i feel i need to invite you back for the first adventure in ricard's latest book wake of the icons yes. but i'm looking forward more to that it. and on uh ricard you've got a bit of an agenda for us haven't you yes it's thrown together very quickly um we hope that we can take uh, our listeners and viewers through maybe four subjects uh four topics uh uh, we'll see if we we'll stick to the topic. I don't. I, I'm not sure, but we'll see. Uh, one of them is um, we wanted to talk a little bit about players' journey uh, through the campaign, but but also in general. Then, like, how do you, how does the game scale, and how does it scale? Like, what happens throughout the campaign uh, for the players specifically? I know James has some points that he is going to start start out with on that as well. Uh, then we want to talk a little bit about culture and society. Um, the world kind of before, during, and after the campaign, I think. Um, it is a rich, like Coriolis has a very rich society. It has a lot of different uh, conflicts going on. It's not black and white, I would say. It's a very grayscale society that shifts uh, um, uh, back and forth a lot. And uh, it's it, we're going to dive into that a bit, I think. And then um, I know Matthew is Dying for the chance to talk mechanics uh, of the play, 
you want to talk dark uh, darkness points and uh, and I, I want to talk experience points and some of those things uh i also want to talk a little bit more about how i snuck rules that i wanted to change into the campaign books as extended rules or new rules um so we'll see and maybe talk a little bit about the year zero system in general uh in regards to this and then the last one uh if you don't change order is scope and scale um a little bit on playstyles, I think, and uh, the kind of the, you know, um, uh, transporting goats on one end or sitting in a ship sweating about uh, for weeks trying to get uh, to a portal jump or uh, going like full hero heroic grandeur at the other end of it in the end. Um, so those are our four subjects or topics. Let's Let's see how it goes, I think. Well, as you said, James has got something to say about yeah, let's start the with campaign James. and the setting. So why don't you start us off, Kay, and, uh, James? Yeah, that's usually the case of up pretty much any subject. So, uh, yeah, no, happy happy to do it. And I guess I'm going to assume some level of foreknowledge from the audience here, so I'm not going to have to describe the entire Coriolis setting from scratch. But um, I guess one thing I will start off with, though, is because I know you're going to touch it on the fourth agenda point here, but I think one thing I have to start off with is the reason I bought Coriolis in the first place was largely I was looking for a really, really good campaign. I'm, I'm typically, as many of my generation are, the kind of uh, fairly time poor these days because, you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on. So you're looking around for pre-written stuff of high quality. Um, this was recommended to me. And um, so I started the game looking from that point of view. So I, I guess we would probably say we were in the swept along with an epic saga kind of, uh, I, you know, impression. Um, less of the Firefly kind of just going from week to week and, and, and sort of scrabbling by. Um, one of the things that we set out with was we have, I have three players that, you know, we meet every Friday night. Actually, this, I, I lie, we started this in COVID, sorry. So we ran this through Roll20, which is kind of an interesting aspect to it. So there was a lot of copy and pasting pictures from the PDFs and like dragging them onto Roll20. So we had stuff to work with. Um, I just read through, I realized that I finished part two, um, I think like March 2021. So I went and read through my players' logs uh, over the weekend just to make sure that I had... Um, you know everything up to date again and so looking through it, i realized that they copied and pasted a lot of these images into the text of their logs as well which is kind of great looking back over it so i think uh just to start off i have three players we meet weekly um and they basically played uh one character was a singer raised in coriolis uh and kind of like a mozart of his generation idea so it was like a real genius very very popular um really really well known and the idea was kind of moving them from this kind of um, and this is probably the most one like tied up in your story in the sense of this is the character who had the big epic arc, which was they're the character where they were like the um, the kind of the pride of the Znithians, the very much that all of the kind of conservative elite loved this person who's like this kind of um, wunderkind who suddenly turns into a rebel and then becomes like the absolute sort of face of the resistance because suddenly, you know, the, the way he changes. And then the other two characters both uh, first uh, first come. And um, I did have a slight plot with the idea of one of them uh, assassinating this um, this singer. So, you know, I had this kind of agenda at the start of that, and that was part of the thing, which never really ended up materializing. So um, I actually played just about every pre-written um, adventure before running into uh, Mercy of the Icons on purpose to give them that sense of, well, firstly, I felt we were at least kind of one player short, so I wanted to make sure they were a little bit beefed up. And this kind of comes to the question you mentioned earlier, Ricard, about like the players or the player character journey through this. Um, 
one of the things that this guy deliberately created, this this singer, Sani, was to make him a non, non-combatant, you know, to make him somebody who in combat would be maybe helping other people or stuff like that. And, and it is difficult to keep that going through the game. Eventually, you just end up with so many experience points that it just feels like you're deliberately crippling your character to not give them, you know, some level of weapon skills. And then before you know it, that escalates. And, you know, by the end of it, he's kind of really, really just blasting away through it with the same as everyone else. Um, the funny thing, well, funny, the kind of curious thing is towards the end of Emissary Lost, in a random encounter with Nestor troops, he just got shot. That was it. Double six critical, boom, dead. <laughs> <laughs> the one pivotal character of the team who I was really trying to tie with campaign was just like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> um, so that was just, you know, the brutal, um, the brutal kind of combat systems that really sort of kicked up in that one. Um, so what I did with that was we started taking the picture that he'd used, which is one of the shots from the book, and turning it into posters. I was saying like Sani lives and kind of tying in the same idea with the whole idea of the song of the machine and stuff like that, that this became, he became a martyr now rather than, you know, so this, this is actually quite a, a powerful when he was the, the mystic inclined one in the team as well. So what I did was to replace that. It was down in, uh, it was on Kua at the point where you're chasing, you, they're already left. They're already actually out of sprawl basically next to the monolith. And so he became one of the other mystics that had been kidnapped and we kind of just woke him up and he wakes up and there's a woman with a cybernetic eye and he sort of escapes and runs away and he becomes the next one. And you can kind of explain him meeting up with the group because of mystic visions and stuff like that. So it was kind of a quick patch up, but definitely less of a character than Sani had been in that sense. And it was it was kind of that was kind of difficult to sort of recover from that. And in a way, Sani, even though he's not in the group anymore, kind of still overshadows everything that they do. But they're, um, but they're but almost like two, uh, there's two things there, right? The one, one was, um, as you said, like how you how you introduce how do you introduce your characters to Coriolis? That's a big mm-hmm. that's a big thing, right? Like like how do you <clears throat> do you start with a campaign or do you do you do run other missions or like do you start? What's the first thing they get to do really, right? And and uh, the other yeah, one. That's- Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and the other one is like when people die. What do you do? Like, could we we spoke about it right before we went live here, where it's like, can you literally, can you die like with everyone, <laughs> literally, and then just carry on the legacy of the ship <laughs> in the end? Like, is that a that's that that is a possible journey, I guess, right? It's it's well, they're not dead. The characters, so the people who played um, Mercy, the characters who played Mercy were Zelly and Carvis, um, and Kishar. Um, found Nur, um, and now they live on Coriolis with her now. They rent the ship that they did the first mission on to the folks who are now experiencing Mercy 2. So the ship is a constant, but the people aren't. So you, that is, is literally our game. Sucks that I'm trying to blow up the ship then in uh, the second book. I know, it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about that blowing up the ship. Uh, <laughs> so my, my group, yeah, um, my um, during. Sorry, I was just going to say really quickly on that one. So during during uh, the during the lockdown, we got guinea pigs, and for some reason, the group decided to buy guinea pigs at some point. And so, right in that adventure, they come running into the the, the hangar with the with the ship there, and it's like, why is there a guinea pig walking around outside of the ship? And that <laughs> literally the guinea pig escaping. Give them the clue that their engine had been tampered with, and so it was kind of a, a cute point. But yeah, to, to your point there, you can't have. I think you have to introduce a campaign the size of most of the icons quite slowly because 
it's obviously such a set, you know, Jonathan, I'm going to steal Jonathan's uh, great phrase here, setting defining campaign. You can't change a campaign right from day one. You can't start off with everything changed. It's a very difficult way to, yep. you know, you, you, you take away, you undermine the impact of it. So you do have to kind of get that setting feeling like it's really, really solid. And, you know, it takes a lot to change it before you start like really shaking it up like that. So that's why I played as much as I could beforehand to make everyone feel that this was almost an immutable setting that was going to stay like that because Mercy really does shake it up. And the reactions from my players were phenomenal. I mean, the, like I said, the quote I always give is that one of my players said that this just basically set the bar for all future campaigns. It was just so detailed and nuanced and just such a complex uh, thing to play through. So, yeah. But I'll let somebody else speak here. Um, James, can I just jump in and say that please. what you just described in your campaign, how you, the, that non-player character... Um, the, the non-combat character just became ended up, you know, dying, but then becoming a martyr, becoming a symbol for the resistance, as it were, and and having the player pick up another mystic, you know, along the journey and and making up those kind of that's so cinematic. Like that that's it's just perfect in my eyes. And that kind of leads into the what I'm effectively and ultimately like I have to preface everything here with this is stuff for me that I'm in planning with. It's not something I'm necessarily running yet. Um, but that is just straight up down the line and the whole like building up the building up the setting, making, making things that, so like I've, again, I've been looking at the timeline, you know, um, when, when uh, the Zenithians arrive 60 years later, um, the emissaries arrive on. Uh, is it? Are we saying Zine or Zini? I can't remember. I'm saying Zine. But... Zine. Same uh, Say what you want. Uh, the emissaries arrive um, through uh, on on Zine, and then you know they they one of them comes to Coriolis, and you know there's there's a good few segments there um, uh, in between those two events where the other emissaries can have a you know dispersed disappeared gone uh, across the horizon to do stuff um and then you've got like uh the the Ghazali incident and then you've got the intro to mercy of the icons there is all this time where you absolutely can put in your own homebrew stuff or throw yep. in uh the other published things like i have uh, an idea of putting in uh aram's secret uh, between emissary lost and um the last cyclade however uh, what james what yep. you were saying before uh earlier about how actually you did uh aram's secret uh significantly earlier because you ran through all the uh scenarios before you went into the campaign and how uh i mean i should probably let you, you say this you your your player just kind of jumped in with it so i'll i'll let you say it no, well, look, okay, so yeah, so, so that's that's a great point. So, Jonathan, um, yeah, I did run Aram's Secret earlier on, and um, I had kind of a vague, I mean, one of the things about this, again, is everyone's campaign is going to run slightly differently. And with mine, um, we basically had an adjudicator who was kind of taking Sani under his wing. His family had been assassinated, and he's kind of pulling him out, and this, this is where it kind of goes on this guy's journey. Um, and so part of it was kind of getting the heat off him after some of the earlier missions, because, I, I mean, the first mission I ran was the one at the back of the book, like pretty much I'm sure everyone will. Um, so then we kind of run them down to um, the kind of Mercury-Venus uh, equivalents in the Kua, in the Kua system. 
and, and run all those campaigns. And yeah, to your point, one of the things that the players absolutely loved, um, this kind of is two, two or three things here. So to Rickard's point, the first thing I'm trying to do from the universe is just give them the whole thing of like, there is this place, there's the third horizon, blah, blah, blah. And then there's Coriolis and let's do this. And then bit by bit, as you go along, you try and drip feed as much information as you can. You try and never get the players in a situation where they're like, they can't save themselves or they, or they make bad choices because they're, they're not aware of something about the setting. So you're trying very, very hard to preempt anything like that. Uh, but yeah, to, to your point uh, on that one, Jonathan, um, one of the things my players loved with the fact that on Gina, there's an adventure there that covers Nazarene's sacrifice. And it's kind of, for the, my players' uh, point of view, was the first introduction of Nazarene's sacrifice, which they really thought was a great adventure. But to then get to the mercy of the Icons campaign and Emissary Lost and then see that these guys had come back, my players were really impressed with that because there's always the artifact of a role-playing game and they assume that one adventure has been you know, written here, one adventure has been written there. And the fact that they all tied together in that sense made it a very living, breathing setting. And so from my players' point of view, what they liked about it was just sitting and exploring the setting and making it feel incredibly realistic around them. But that's that's my group. That's what they really responded well to. So, yeah, thanks, Jonathan. That's a yeah. good point. So I think it's worth talking about the different volumes of the campaign here because I do think <clears throat> volume one, um, Wake of the Martyr, um, yeah. Is that right? No. That's no, right. Emiss- What's one called? Last Cyclade uh, and the, then Wake of the Icons. Like... So you've got scenarios within the books. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what... yeah so Emissary Lost, I think, is a great introduction to the world. I mean, by all means, obviously, James, yeah, you know, you, you took people through all the other things as well. But actually, you start on Coriolis in Emissary Lost and you learn about the workings of um the horizon the third horizon and then you start stretching your wings just going to the planet below coriolis so it gives you a real you know start small focus on the world get to know how people behave within that microcosm of coriolis and then here's your first trip to the um you know to another planet i think yeah um, yeah sorry I think that would work really well for for groups that hadn't played before. Obviously, generally my players had. Um, I did have a bit of a, so I did have a false. So, like you, James, actually, this started for us with lockdown. We were having another campaign that, that I was going to, at some point, start working um, Mercy of the Icons into that. But uh, lockdown happened. We used to meet face to face. Uh, I said, shall we, shall we just carry on the campaign online? One of the players seriously doesn't want to do online. So we were one down. And then I said to the other two players, partly because I'd read this first beginning bit um, and it feels quite noirish. I said, well, what about the two of you, uh, my co-host David and his brother, Tony, being um, down at heel detectives and we'll, we'll just kick it off there. See how long it lasts while this lockdown's going on. And um, the last, we we played The Return, which is the end of book two, um, on January. We played that, you know, pretty much once a week for about an hour and a half to two hours a week online. And we didn't, until uh, until around that time in the early part of this year, we didn't really miss out many weeks. So that's pretty solid playing all the way through the second volume however um that that immediately expands your horizon sorry 
It really expands the whole of the horizon. So your viewpoint is suddenly stretched. And I think even my experienced players um, were a bit challenged getting their head around all the different factions suddenly coming to see them and offering them work and the all the many feeds into different parts of the adventure, which you can kind of run in a different order depending on what your people want. I think in a way they were overwhelmed. They joined with the space Nazis, which uh, so at least they, they they had a mission. They were generally doing bad things around the uh, around the third horizon. Um, uh, but they, yeah, you know. So I I'd, I'd, I'd fed them little teasers from the Children of the Song and from other ones as well, and they kind of totally ignored that, which is one of the reasons. Dave feels a little bit cheated out of knowing what was going on Coriolis uh, and um, what happens at the end of that volume, which I won't spoil straight away, but uh, maybe we will before the end of this is out. This is a, a GM only. I'm going to spoil uh, it. The moment I, Just I, a reminder. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, we can build the tension for the, what happens at the end of volume two within the space of this hour and a half as well, can't we? Something <laughs> um, blows up. Anyway, so they weren't on Coriolis. They didn't touch upon, you know, they didn't do much with the children of the song. So they kind of missed out on that whole storyline. And they mm. came back to Coriolis to um, to find the thing that happens. And somebody else can say about what, what happens. So that difference between those first two volumes, I think, is quite marked in that you can really go into that first volume knowing nothing about the third horizon. But then the benefit of what you've done, where you've given them a bit of a tour beforehand, uh, I think really pays dividends, not just to player characters, but to players as well, so that they then have a better sense of who they um, end up working for or whether they play people off one against each other in uh, in the second volume. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit... So, no, that's... Look, I mean, firstly, great, great points raised there. I think it's a bit like, say, Superman 2, uh, that moment there. Like, if you were a fan of Superman at the time and he mentions Zod and you just have, like, that kind of huge moment of, like, oh, my goodness, it's, like, one of the biggest enemies. But if you just, like, watch the first movie, you're like... Mm. <laughs> and it's a bit like that. So, like, when things like Nazarene Sacrifice are mentioned and stuff like this are coming back and they're, like, they know what these things are, it, I think it also... You, you kind of set them up for these big punchlines, these big payoff moments like that. But I still don't disagree with your point that... I love the fact that it's a really, really focused start. And I, like you say, it, it, it really is like a little investigation start, fantastic mystery. In fact, one of the things I think I've always thought is the big currency in role-playing games is that payoff from a mystery. And I think, you know, Coriolis has that just forever. There's so many great mysteries there that it, it just, it's a, it's a fun place to explore and go and look at what all these things mean. And finally, with the wake of the icons, even the GMs know some of it now, finally. I think it's a good point on the exploration stuff because, like, if we just look at how the, I'll, I'll talk about two things mainly: the way I started the campaign for my players, and then also maybe a little bit what the thoughts are on taking the players through this. So that because Coriolis, the complex beast of being in Coriolis is that, the, as the rulebook mentions, you can be any constellation of, you know, you can be a traveling circus, literally. And like, how does a traveling circus kind of, you know, get into the full-blown arc of um, Mercy, the Mercy campaign? Um, 
But what I did, I think I, I, I can relate to what you did, James, is that I kind of, of course, then knew some of the subjects I wanted to um, plant for the players. But I also wanted the players to spend a lot of time just with the ship, making sure that they understand that if this thing breaks when they're out in the vacuum of space, they're, they're, they're toast. So like care about the ship, care about each other uh, and make money. There's like one of the basic things in the in the in the rule book is essentially like you owe a lot to someone, so get get busy living, essentially, right? Get 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 busy getting money in, um, and I think uh, for me that that was like just all I needed. Like once we had created the characters and we started like seeing how the characters uh, intertwine with each other and what backgrounds they had and what other kind of NPCs they had lingering in in their kind of peripherals. Um, I think we started just uh, moving goats. You know, we I, I made a point of actually trying to stay a lot in the Kua system at first. I didn't want them to... I didn't want it to be Star Wars. I didn't want them to like just jump all over the place immediately. I wanted them to have like you've just gotten this ship. You are like it's for regular people. It's really expensive or really really cumbersome to travel. Uh, so like you're this is what you know. You're like one of them are from uh, came from Algol. So they but they had like they had earned the right to come to Kua, right? They they paid like everything they owned to to just get there. And they had now finally gotten this ship and they were essentially, I, I kind of had them going to Kua and some of the smaller planets and uh, like a longer, like a, a few long sec uh, sections where they just went to Jachrum and um, and the Remord Reach to just feel the difference maybe between the political side that is Coriolis and then the like free trader side that is Jachrum, uh, I think. So like I, I tried to use that just to establish uh, established them in that world, and then uh, I I piped them into Gasalis as the first like big adventure. Um, they had their own ship with them into that actually, as well. So, uh, so all of that, and but I just tried to get them to a point where they started to realize they're really really vulnerable. There is a lot of bad shit going on, and as um, uh, uh, a consequence of Ghazali, you also get this whole entire political conflict is starting. That it, it is actually it should really be be the official start point, mm. I feel, a bit to the Mercy campaign. Like I deliberately it was meant to be like a single adventure, just a kind of a startup adventure. I deliberately placed things for the Mercy campaign in there. Not that they were needed, like, but th that they could be used for GMs that's, that ran that. So the Emerald Disk and uh, the Log Files and um, Rama and some of the other characters were like deliberately there so they could be reused later. Um, now, Millie, and... you ran Ghazali for, for three of us on... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, three of my... Me and a couple of the other patrons. We and did, that yeah. did become the prologue for your... Um, yeah. Uh, for your campaign, although not with the same players. How did that work for you? So um, uh, I fell in love with Subitha. I don't know why that character in uh, Voyage of the Ghazali, I love her. I think she's great. Yeah. Um, so I decided um, that Subitha was Noah's parent. Um, and Subitha being missing, she owned the ship. She was the original owner of the ship that's going through our campaign. And the first three players worked for Subitha. Because Subitha was gone, they couldn't get to the ship. Now Noah's gone. 
we just need to sort this out because if Nur's gone, we've got no access to our ship, no access to our money. Now we're talking to a judge. What's you know that kind of stuff, mm. and and that was the downward spiral into them being involved. Um, and I was just delighted with myself a couple of weeks ago because I've I've managed to shoehorn Sabitha into Mercy too, um, uh, and I'm like <laughs> yes, she's back. Um, but that that was kind of, so so Sabitha in the background somewhere is I guess is what's connecting everything. Even though our characters have changed, um, it's Sabitha's ship and and that kind of stuff. That's that's our our sort of story through it. Um, but yeah, we started with Ghazali um, with three different people. Um, and now and again, I'll make references because we decided that the, the Voyage of the Ghazali, the folks who went on it were reporters for Red Spider. Uh, and it, they were doing like, you know, they were recording stuff. So now like there's these Red Spider reports of things going around. Um, and our players in at the start of Miss, where you have to sort of, it feels very, um, I always think of it like Dragon Age. Inquisition, where you have to pick with, you know, if to go over to this faction or this faction, you know, this could change your course of your journey through the game, sort of thing. Um, and they were picking, and we, they were all umming and about it. So we decided that they would just now Red Spider is technically their patron, so but they're a bit freer to sort of get in as much trouble as they need to, but also they're probably not going to get saved as easily as they might. Um, so so um gives them one of my players is making their own courtesan guild which is interesting given some of the things mentioned in the start of mercy three um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um so ben's gonna have a lot of fun with that i think um so yeah they're a little bit sort of wandering around um and we've just yeah it, i think compared with a lot of folks ours is very a very light kind of we get up to silliness and um we we're quite daft in in re respects to a lot of things um but also like the it's not to say we don't care about it we're just more i don't know i just feel like like shenanigans silliness um we wanted uh we played the children, uh, children of the future, um, and the aforementioned courtesan Shanaz is actually from Dabaran. Um, she's a very good storyteller, which, you know, fits in with the, the themes of Dabaran and that kind of stuff. And we were just like, there was just like rip off merch for her everywhere. Um, um, and so she's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to get my lawyers onto that, which gave us an interesting point. Like, and then afterwards, like, we want to, we want a spa show, a spa session. So we went off to play Aram Secret because you start in a spa. And that's the kind of thing. Like her lawyers got a load of money from the IP infringement, but now we've just blown it all. We've literally blown it all on uh, <laughs> Caladrina's expensive spa. So now we're back to square zero. So that, you know, a logical spend and that kind of stuff. So we are, we are a bit daft and, um, having fun, but also there's very much like, who are these? Why are these people? Oh! moments as well um, i think it's interesting my players uh when i started out they also shows um kind of explorers slash journalists actually mm -hmm. they were like really keen on that and maybe that's because like when you start describing coriolis as a universe you start describing it as a very it's full of like old ruins and there's a lot of mystic threads to kind of ent untangle and I think my my players like they, they jumped straight into like oh but then we shouldn't just be mercenaries going around shooting stuff we should we should explore like mm -hmm. we should find those mysteries essentially so they they dove into that as well which kind of showed on Gasalis because they couldn't really fight uh, so so that's why 
that was someone almost bleeding out on the floor uh, in the first adventure, um, uh, which we'll get back to the mechanics of play, I guess. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll quickly just run through the thoughts of the campaign, maybe, in regards to the player's journey, um, I think. Uh, and then you can all kind of comment if there's anything to that. Um, I think the ideas that I had and that we had when we kind of uh, talked this through also um, together with the Free League, my editor, etc., was that you know Emissary Lost is uh, it's it's about like Coriolis is the it's the capital city of the this universe essentially it's like everyone goes to Coriolis at some point you'll see all the factions represented in some way you'll see all the all the conflicts all the hierarchies of culture and society all the uh, if people want to be mean to someone else they're gonna be mean to 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 you know that culture or 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 those people at Coriolis so it's it's a good kind of microcosm of what uh, of the rest of the of the universe entails um and we knew that uh in the first book it it would be I think disastrous to kind of just throw people out there and you know uh go to 20 systems and try to figure everything out because you wouldn't have the the knowledge of the universe yet so book one is it's pretty it's pretty railroaded it's a little bit of an investigation there is a little red thread um there you get to run around in all the parts of coriolis which was deliberate like you know start you know you have to go high up to the top you 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 get to be in the sprawl of everyone kind of all the all the people that don't have the money etc and then you go into the slums and like you really dig your way down into the kind of belly of the of the station and i think that also for me i wanted to do that because i wanted to plant people uh, I wanted to be uh, ha have them think of Coriolis as um, a, a good friend or or the the odd uncle or whatever. But th there is a relative here that, that they have a they have a strong relationship to this station. If you if you put this station in the concept like in the in the context of your own campaign, you want people to come back to it. You want people to know people here. Go back to that cantina. Go back, you know, bribe that official again uh, to get stuff, goods through the customs and and all of that stuff. Um, and then Cuba, because I I kind of know I wanted to return to Cuba, or I know I knew that I wanted to do something with a monolith at that mm -hmm. point. So I I think Cuba was it, it's a way for us to take the people from the sprawl and then just put them out into the countryside and have them like see how this kind of social conflict exists uh, in a different environment where you have the uh, plantation owners and people being being used uh, by the corporations or by the by the different factions um to the point where entire like bay bay basin or whatever however i should pronounce it uh, uh basin yeah that i mean it will essentially it, like it's it's corrupted right that sinkhole mm -hmm. is like eating up the village uh due to i made the backstory of the gin the deal with the gin and all of that stuff but but it's essentially like it's it's meant to be one of these places you want to like oh i want to go back there and explore and dive in caves and find treasure and stuff like that oh but right now we just have to travel through but you wanted to leave that kind of gem for both the gm i think and the players to kind of go through and then take the players through that journey where they get to actually approach the monolith, which is something that probably has been mentioned, you know, that there is a monolith on Cuba, but you want them to stand there and kind of go, 
oh my god, this is a big thing right there. Um, so there is a storyline around the monolith that you want to kind of establish the players uh, uh, in, I think. So they need a relationship to that as well. Um, and then, you know, the introduction of all the all of, of the butterfly ships, and you have all of that stuff. But but if we look at just those motives that have been planted now, and you go into Mercy Two, the 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 point there, I think, is like of, now you have this big relationship. You have you have the relationship with the emissary that got killed. Um, uh, you have the you have seen the monolith. You understand it. Uh, for uh, you don't understand what it is, but you understand it to be a kind of an ancient artifact of some kind. Um, you have kind of um, at the beginning of Mercy Two, you wake up like at the end of the first adventure, you wake up right by the kind of footholds of the monolith, and you actually get to travel up the monolith, and you get to see high society in the monolith, and. All of that is deliberate for the spoiler that Matthew mentioned, because you want to be there and you want to see like how the hegemony, you know, exists there and it's their stronghold. Jonathan, I the, leaning heavily into the this is a GM only conversation. Spoilers. I want to ask you a question because we <laughs> yes. we are talking just GM to GM here, but you are also the writer, so I wanted yeah. to ask you something, right? So the monoliths are, um, and a lot of there's there's some other tech like uh, artifacts and stuff that in the core rulebook when they're first mentioned all this kind of stuff it's given off as a it they're they're from the the um pre pre uh, the whatever the, the portal, portal builder era uh, yeah it's yep. from the portal builders it's not man made. So the monoliths are supposed to be that, right? Yep. It's just that the Santulans, the Second Horizon, uh, work out how to do stuff with them. How to control them, yeah. Yeah. Or how to and affect them. How to affect them. Yeah. And then also in, I think it's, is it in Mercy 3? It's, I can't remember where it's specifically said. Um but also the it's it's mentioned on the the Coriolis map. It's one of the bullet points that you know. There's 36 star systems. That each each one has three bullet points, um, and one of them is all, all the way far over um, in the corner is uh, I think it's Eraku, uh, and there's one called the Web of Isar, and then it's mentioned briefly in. Um, it's uh, it's mentioned briefly in a song for Jeruma. It's a great big uh, planet encasing uh, black metal. Uh, Isor net to that a net of Isor. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, it's kind of given off as a oh, this is this must be portal builder technology. But it's it. I think it's later explained somewhere that actually it's a Santulan thing. It's a Santulan node. Node, yeah, that's yeah, it. exactly. So, so they use the nodes. They use the nodes in the portal wars to have influence. But a lot of their nodes were actually destroyed uh, or shut down. Uh, so the Isernet is the last remnant of uh, some kind of connection to the uh, to the Third Horizon, um, which is then accidentally recreated uh, on uh, scene by uh, Jeroma. 
when she discovers the pattern, she tries to mimic and change the uh, resonance of the planet itself. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to clarify like how how much sway like how much was this you know notes that were in a document from uh Jan Ringen how much of this was stuff that you were able to connect together and say actually I'm going to make this no, I, I, one line into something more yeah I, yeah that's what I did <laughs> so a lot of the story is based on all of the little nuggets like Coriolis ex exists on the on the on top of a whole bunch of I think you mentioned before we went live, Jonathan. There's like these small nuggets of like there are some ruins here. There's some da da da. da. There, there's a lot of like richness in just these small small comments, right? Mm. But then you want to take some of those. Uh, the way I did it was like instead of inventing new ones, I wanted to take some of these that have already been invented that possibly players could have been traveling past or been have mentioned or whatever, and I wanted them to connect to like why are they really there? Oh well, of course, they're remnants of this. This this entire war that happened before, or these cultures and and uh, technologies that existed before. So, so a lot of this has been kind of brought brought in. The Isornet wasn't connected to Scene originally. The, we just knew that the emissaries came from Scene, but yeah. I but I knew that there was a node that like, there was a hint of possibility of a node in the ice like in the in in the Isornet, and I wanted Scene to be a node as well. So. Because that works really well at the Mercy Three um, to have a node there. Yeah. Um, so but, so yeah. So like a lot of this is just strung to, strung together, uh, and uh, and it's just a, a big puzzle to put. And then some new pieces have been uh, added to that puzzle. I yeah, I just want to say from what I have read and in all my planning. Also, I, I just wanted to also say as part of you know because we're we're probably a bit more than halfway through now um yeah, unfortunately yeah. We, we're gonna we've just kind of like, we're, we're in the zone. maybe we should carry on i don't know <laughs> yeah. um, uh the players journey i i did actually get to play some of this campaign with some players uh my the scope of what i wanted to do is is a bit grander i wanted to bring in troop play and even cinematic play from like alien um and basically, because the Mercy of the Icons campaign, just it feels so grand, and I don't want it to just be on one group of uh, one group of characters. I feel like it could be much bigger than that. So, what I initially pitched to my players, which was a, a group of three, four players originally, and I, I'm part of a. I'm sorry, I'm speaking really quickly because I'm excited, but also because you know <laughs> I want us to be able to move on. But I want to get this out. Um, I'll tell you what, Jonathan, why don't we wait until the la part four, which is precisely about I'll hold off. But we've just changed the title to Culture and Society. Oh, okay, and we've touched on a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on a vital point. So you oh. were talking about that a big change. And I think now is uh, yeah. even within the scope of this program, it's we'll worth come. saying that Coriolis Station is blown up at the end of book two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is very little that the player characters can do about that. I mean, particularly my players felt, you know, they'd only just arrived on Coriolis um, uh, and uh, they'd got the judge off the station and were uh, uh, taking good. her to, well, something I realised is they were taking her to uh, Dachroom, which is like bloody months away in their ship because their ship's so damn slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, oh, crikey, they're, they're meant to be down at the, the monolith blowing up Coriolis and I'm not going to get them there. Yeah, they they don't have to be, for, though. For not following in with the children of the song. Yeah. And so they w witnessed it from afar, but it blew up. 
And I remember at the time, a lot of GMs are kind of going, uh, I, I don't want this in my world. I want my world to be the same world that I bought into at the beginning. Um, yep. or, or the other, other complaint was, Oh my God, mass murder. My, and my players are partly responsible for it. The genocide. Um, uh, very deliberate from my point. From my which, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of relishing that, and I, and I like that, and particularly for my players, you know, yeah. you side with space Nazis, then you take what the space yeah. Nazis get coming to them, in my opinion. Um, but uh, uh, you know, so, but you know, there's a lot, a lot of kerfuffle there, a lot of upset. Now, for me, I think this is a great opportunity to sort of rewrite the horizon from new. And you make lots of changes in the beginning of book three, some of which I'm pleased to say that my campaign foreshadowed. So <laughs> nothing feels out of place with the changes you've made. Yeah. Um, uh, but should we talk a bit about that, about those big yeah. changes? Yeah, I mean, I can very quickly go through. So the thing was, when I got to start writing for Coriolis, I found that it's like there's a lot of factions here. And one of the first things that happened when I started introducing it to my players were like, Oh, we can't remember all of these. Like, who's Sinithian? Who is firstborn? Who 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 trades with who? Whom and you know, back and forth. And you kind of go as a GM. Well, actually, everyone kind of does weird shit with each other. It's 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 an odd, it's an odd smorgasbord of of intrigue here. Um, I mean, even the Sinithians, like the main Sinithian factions, are actually fighting each other heavily, both in Mercy One and in Mercy Two. Until they realize, like, what if we bury the hatchet and just push everyone else away and just take over, take power? You know, that's like that's the and that's the that's the big uh, that's lighting the fuse for the Santulans, who then uh, make sure that the yeah. monolith, you know, uh, uh, activates and blows everything up. Um, so I think so I think that's. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's one of the big things. So what I wanted to do when I kind of got into three was like by the end, when we reached three, I wanted to have fewer factions. That was one of my main goals with the arc because I wanted also to, for players who played this arc. So the baseline of this is I want the players to go through another portal war. And if you look and read the portal wars, there's like entire systems gone. Like Odacon is one thing, but actually... The third horizon is more like the sh the thirty six systems you see are only the thirty six that weren't cut off. They're there are amazing. more systems out there. So 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 I wanted I wanted to rewrite the map, and I wanted it to feel like the arc was so big, and that you can't change every like you can't stop it. You can only kind of guide it. Uh, a little bit where you want to go but you can't stop change and so so factions are going to hate each other factions are going to get kicked out they're going to die out they're going to seek uh, allegiances that they may may or may not have had before they're going to reform um i loved putting the Sinithians in a really bad spot like taking away their homes their homes literally with both coriolis and the monolith and take those like powerhouses and then just throwing them out as exiles into the universe. I wanted to do that. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to do that because like then you start feeling like now they're underdogs in this universe when we step into Mercy 3. 
So they have been treating the firstborn like shit. Will the firstborn now treat them like shit? I want to see if we could see if we could flip the table on them, or if people, if the players, for example, would act as ambassadors for positive change uh, in helping the Senetians. So there is a point, for example, in Mercy Three where they can kind of choose in the end the um, the Great War that happens at the end. They can choose if kind of if they want to go in one direction and do one adventure, or if they want to kind of go and help the Sinithians that are getting attacked by the First Horizon. And I wanted there to be like, if you wait with helping the Sinithians, they're gonna be way more decimated, way more like worse off. Or you go there first, but then someone else is gonna suffer. So there is not a good like there's never a good choice in that in that choice. But I wanted players to have that in their hand. That, that choice in their hand. It's, it's one of the things, um, factions and and everything that's going on within the within the rulebook. So not even necessarily within the Mercy campaign. Just like hey, there are all these factions. The the core principle behind the setting of the Zenithians, um, you know, we're all GMs. We should all know this. But quick recap, right? Um, a long, long time ago, uh, Earth or Al Arda sends off a generational colony ship off to a far star, uh, which happens to be Dabaran, um, and then it takes them, uh, what is it, nearly a thousand years for them to arrive, in which point people have already turned up there because of the discovery of the portals. And so we've got nearly uh, you know, 900 years worth of, of history and conflict and culture being developed across uh, innumerable star systems. So the the Zenithians, they arrive to see that people are already there. And this dream that they were promised is kind of not not what they what they receive. Um, they're not part of the history of the first horizon, second horizon, the portal wars or anything like that. They they've got no stock in any of that. Um, and they 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 come they come to the third horizon. They make do. They they do what they can. They they reinvigorate the third horizon, which was in a in a kind of a dark age. So in a way, like they're 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 kind of good in a progressive way. But also, then it turns out, oh, actually, they they're a bit racist. They're a bit they're stinking colonists. Well, some of them are anyway. Some of them are. Uh, well, actually what i love about all the factions i mean you talk about there being too many factions ricard but of course it's almost fractal in that within uh if you read the the, the faction descriptions even within the core rule book it'll say this is what this faction is like oh except for this bit for of bits. that faction which is almost exactly the opposite so even with the space nazis the zenithian hegemony there are the neo-zenithians within that who are who are kind of the good guys, the progressives. Um, and you think, and that's not just with those guys. That's the same with everything else. So I can every, quite... every faction is listed with like a positive and a negative thing. Yeah. yeah. Kind of balancing them out. And it's like, you, you play into that, how you want to play into that at your table. And I love that, you know, as we were kind of alluding to, we talked about it before, as we kind of alluded to um, in this chat here now as well, the book is like nearly it's 400 pages of just 
rich setting lore adventure prompts things that you know you could flip open to a page even in like the rules and the character generation stuff like there are bits there and you're like oh i could i could do a thing on that we could we could play into that like um you know uh one of the things that i really love uh one of the things actually quick quick thing right so we're in the culture and society thing <laughs> very much we're talking human stuff I've already mentioned the portal builders, but it's very much, they seem to be like, a, oh, that portal builders. It's it's how there are portals, how people were able to get to the third horizon before the generation ship. And we're just going to leave it at that. Like there are artifacts that can be found around that we think are portal builders, but some of them, as, as you have uh, described, Ricard, are uh, you've, you've written them in to be actually, human artifacts from the first or second horizon kind of thing yeah and that's great but part of me really wants to know more about the portal builders and i know <laughs> that that is something that has been given to the game master for game masters to make of them what they will so in my own campaign what i want to do like fundamental statement uh the djinn that are found throughout the horizon are the remnants of the portal builders for me that's that's what they're going to be so in a kind of a stargate um you know the ancients in stargate <laughs> they kind of ascend they're like we don't need this mortal coil we're going to become one with everything um so the portal builders do something like that but some of them are left behind some of them are kicked out whatever it happens to be right and they become the jinn so there are there are good jinn there are bad jinn however you however that plays out um but they are super powerful entities that wander around the horizon and they they interact with uh human humankind and and you know they're able to be multiple places at once and however you want to play it so that's one of the things that i want to do now obviously mercy the icons as a campaign and every other published scenario really doesn't touch a lot on any of that um, it is very much still the human-centric conflict, yep. which I still love and appreciate. But part of me really wants to go down that whole alien culture, ancient alien culture, <laughs> yeah. and the magic of the jinn and and you know science so advanced that it it's perceived as magic kind of but, stuff. But I think so. An interesting aspect of that is you said you have the portal builder tech right and they've left the horizon with some kind of automated system. So like the monoliths, uh, you know. Um, there is this whole thing where if uh, organic matter goes through portal space, it draws corruption and, and eventually, you know, uh, all the systems that are bound, bound by the portals uh, build up corruption. Uh, so this was something that the portal builders couldn't fix entirely. Like that's the nature of port portals. Um, so therefore monoliths were, were placed in uh, uh, deliberate, deliberate uh, kind of um, uh, as a center of the web uh, of some of these systems, and every X years they fire off, or at every time the the buildup is too high, they fire off, and they essentially eradicate the darkness around them, and start start from scratch again. So they're the that that's essentially like they're the they're the fuse box, uh, I would say uh, almost in the universe. Um, but then I think you 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 pointed out to something when we were on culture and society. I think that's really interesting and that excites me about Coriolis in general. Uh, then I want 
play, uh, GMs to kind of dive even more into is the fact that you have Zenith. Uh, it takes a thousand years for it to reach Dabaran. And during that time, the entire, like you've gone through people going to the second horizon first, and then they find out that, you know, Santalons are shit. They, it's, it's a pyramid scheme. We don't want to be part of it. Uh, so you first get like some of the first come, uh, you know, leave. You have uh, um, the Mughal fleet. They leave. Janagir fleet. They're like, fuck you. We're, we're going. Uh, we're not coming back. We're going to self, like, we're going into exile. Uh, and then uh, you have the um, uh, Order of the pa Paria, uh, Salos. They're also leaving. They're like, we are uh, prosecuted in our own. Like, we're pe people are chasing us down. Santalans don't want to um, have us here. Uh, we are leaving and finding our uh, the great planet with the with the crown of the the martyr, and we are settling there. Um, and with all of that going on. You then have the kind of the buildup of the third, second, and third horizon tech and the society, and then the fall during the portal wars. Mm. And then a ship arrives with a thousand year old tech, and it is still literally at the peak of the tech because everything has been blown up and uh, been forgotten, right? Yeah. So there is the richness of the world, I think, comes from imagining what level of technologies did these all of these factions have when the third horizon were at its peak or a second and third horizon were at its yeah. peak and what type of tech does the first horizon have now after a thousand years of developing their passion for for dancing with the darkness you know what 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 does that mean for their i mean they're literally in mercy 3 enslaved a monolith yeah. so i mean that's a huge spoiler but the End of the book. But like also, I I really like you know having having briefly read ahead. I looked at the overviews. Like the, there are details of the scenarios that I don't know yet because I'm going to play in some of them with Matthew. <laughs> um, but I've I've got a general overview, and we could talk, we'll talk about this, I guess, maybe in the scope or the mechanics or something about you know GM and player. How do you balance that? But again. Big spoiler, Mercy Three. The bit towards the end about how you, how the players, how this whole thing gets wrapped up, how um, the the big thing of the the second portal war, as as you just kind of alluding it to, the Horizon War, um, of the players effectively, either the players do or they send off, and you know maybe you can you can narrate it if you want to, but the idea of going effectively going to somewhere in the first horizon and then eliminating that uh monolith and then you know buggering off back home somehow i, I can't remember i didn't read that detail how do they get home or do they get stuck there there is, there is a note where they could a, G, a friendly gm could possibly let them survive but i <laughs> I, I want i want the first horizon i would wish for the first horizon to be a one way trip yeah. for most for most gms and, if and the players I, get that I think in in the description there you you put down the number of people that are in that one system yep and it <laughs> is enormous yeah, yeah. And, and you're just like wow that is that's really like you we, we we you took what happened at the end of mercy 2 
and the destruction that caused. And then in order to wrap all of this up, like that number is just phenomenal. What's the pr what's the price of freedom? I think it comes down to, and that is yeah. probably what they all had to face in the last Portal Wars as well. What is the price of the, of removing the first horizon from the third horizon? And Ooh. that was probably a pretty staggering uh, number as well. So it's interesting to place the players behind the levers that decision. of that. Yeah. yeah, at that point of that decision, because they mean that they're. They can make two choices essentially. They can, or they can make three choices. They can also be subject, you know, subjugated to a first horizon rule. In theory, there is a little box about that. Um, it it just plays more into how the syndicate likes to run things in general. Um, but they can either try. It's a journey at the Horizon Wars. It's a journey taking a ship as far as you can to save as much of the third horizon as possible. Yeah. So you can, if you are not playing well, or if you're taking a lot of damage, you might need to end the journey on Cuba and cut off the entire um, uh, Dabaran trade route, route essentially. And yeah. then you're just sacrificing all of those planets, not sacrificing them as dying, but you're sacrificing them to the First Horizon. They're yeah. literally going to be uh, eaten up, gobbled up by the First Horizon. Or you drive all the way, and you get to go through Taiwan and you get to kind of, you know, jump all the way down to Ainion, um, which is a, it's a planet on in um, a system in First Horizon, and you get to take out their monolith, which you've so already seen the devastating powers of doing. So so it's interesting then to, to get to do that yourself well, this time. Talking of scope and scale now, I think, I think we, we moving on there now. Yeah. I can see the title cards changed. Yes, yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are talking about like massive scope scale, like huge oh, things. Yeah. And yeah. and the thing I keep thinking about, right? The, key, the thing I keep we're talking to like people who might not even have started any Colliers. Like, oh, great, some some really big GM folks who've played it, and and that, all I can think in my head is like, I would be terrified right now <laughs> of starting this campaign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> thinking back when I when I opened up last Voyage of the Ghazali and I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah, we like this. I would genuinely be terrified because we're talking about massive this war and this, and we need to know all these factions and the good and the bad and the mini factions, the fractal factions. I didn't. Okay. I started Mercy with just oh, it's going to be on Coriolis. I'll read the bits about Coriolis. I'll read the book. We'll work it out as we go along. And the the beautiful thing about the scope and the scale is because of all the different little factions in there and the weird bits of history, I could in a session go, oh yeah, the the Order of the Prior, they love spaghetti. <laughs> it's their it's their favorite dish. And then you can meet an NPC three things later who's absolutely like you've just offended him royally. And you're never sure whether I've got it wrong or they're somebody's weird. Um, so there is a safety net in there in all this kind of stuff. So we are talking about this massive scale and we're going to redefine a horizon and you don't i don't want people to be listening and going like oh my gosh but you do Maybe. it one goat at a time right yeah you, one goat so so i mean i totally get you on that one million you're right to a certain degree depending on how you want to do it there's a lot of breeding up front there is one way where you could especially now the third one is out to have read all the adventures up front make a whole bunch of notes and then work out how you're going to drip feed information which definitely wasn't how i ended up doing it but i tried as much as i could you know with a, with a small amount of it to, to do a bit of that but to me it's mine that more like the other way 
which is Coriolis has this beautiful artwork in the books, right? And a lot of role-playing games have had amazing artwork over the time, right? But it does frustrate me when you see this fantastical front cover of a thing and there's like dragons and like falling moons and it's huge things. And you're thinking, wow. And in it, you're just in a 10 foot by 10 foot room fighting three goblins for like 10 years. And you're like, <laughs> oh man. And that's what I love about like Coriolis is that like you did get those really epic things. That's one thing my players kept going back to is like, um, is it Lubal, the kind of Mercury equivalent? Like those yep. kind of settings and Dina, and it was just like, wow, I really feel like I'm in this different place. Like it's affecting every action my character does because I'm worried about like water retention and, and, and you know, like whether I'm going to get too hot or I'm worried about the fact there's acid rain on Gina. So I do think on one side, the locations actually felt really fantastical. You felt like you were really at that thing. There was a time when the ship got impounded and they literally free flew with some jets out of Coriolis out of an emergency hatch to the net to get their, their ship back. And it really felt like really epic. And again, of course, I, I use that quote with uh, Ricard, you know, in terms of just like disrupting a setting, it's like, you imagine a spell in a very famous role-playing game where it wiped out all dungeons and dragons from that world. That would be quite the spell. <laughs> and we literally have a Coriolis game that destroys Coriolis. So um, yeah, so to me, I think it was just, that was the big thing that I was really excited about was the fact you finally got to play this absolutely huge epic that the scale of it was there and you you really got to take the most out of the campaign setting. And so for me, that was a big exciting point. But yeah, I totally agree with you that it could look a bit daunting from, from the start. Yeah. And then yeah. and then there's also the, like the as a player kind of thing, like, um, do I need to know who, who these are? No, you're an escaped miner from Algol. Why would you know who the Circle of the Seekers were? Don't worry too much about it. Or, you know, would I, would I know that these are, uh, you know, a bad what how would i know what alchemars is i've never actually been anywhere other than this canteen well let me tell you about Al uh, you know, i love the fact that you you can buy a raffle ticket to maybe get a seat in alchemars yeah yeah i'm gonna buy a lottery to get a really good meal but i think no, no, to, to get the right to pay for a really good meal yeah <laughs> meal for free. yeah yeah no i think uh, an, an important point part here is or the way i see it at least is that there's like this is this a huge universe to explore right but you actually explore it one npc at a time so when you meet someone from sados or from order paria you, you you talk to them and this this person maybe is a trader so that you get the trader perspective of their culture right and then you know a little bit and you, this person is very likable so you you kind of it's this is nice and then you go like what the hell are those doing? They are like terrorists over there. They're they're doing bad shit. And uh, uh, but then, uh, ah, okay. But maybe you meet them and you get to hear their point of the story, right? So so I think as a GM, um, don't get messed up. Like don't get too stuck on the big arcs because like try to focus on how those big arcs are conveyed through people. So if if shit is going on, if like the Sinithians are trying to take over the council. Talk to the person on the street about what they think about that. That's the way better approach than trying to get them into the room, you know, where everything, where, where all the intrigue is going on. I think. Uh, so I would just approach it one NPC at a time. That's yeah. That's that's really helpful, especially when I find myself basically, you know, going through a document where I've I've listed out all of the scenarios, the order in which I would like to play them, the dates in which they land within the five cycle, um, the five cycles that the Mercy of the Icon campaign kind of takes place. Mm. So I'm there like, cool, I'll pop this here, pop this here, pop this here, play this out. Like, and then 
part of me is also like, I only need to read about this at this point. I only need to read about this at this point, you know, like almost like I only need to read about the next bit um, yep. after having kind of sketched out where everything's going to be. So, no, oh, sorry, Jonathan, sorry. Uh, no, that's all right. I, ahead, should also, I should also add, um, I have, st I did start to play this with some of my players. I think we, I was starting to talk about this before, before we moved on to culture and society. Um, I've done um, Last Voyage of the Gazali, much like Millie ended up doing. Um, so I had this, although I had the same players, the same players had, uh, I, I uh, did troop play. So the same players had multiple characters. For the one scenario, Last Voyage of the Ghazali, they played um, a bunch of, they played uh, individuals who had no connection with each other, but were forced together to get off the Ghazali. Um, and then, you know, things play out for them. They have some, those characters have some information. They have that lived experience of what happened on the Ghazali, right? The same players then pick up new characters for uh, Wake of the Martyr. So we then went, okay, right. So we're going to switch over. We've got a new storyline going here. Um, who are they going to be? These guys made um, uh, effectively academics. These all uh, these are all characters that worked in some way or another for the uh, Free League College uh, on Coriolis because nor is a student uh and so we had that connection of okay so one of the characters is actually uh, the tutor of nor so there's a, there's a personal connection you know uh you know office hours kind of thing oh they haven't shown up i'm gonna go to their uh student accommodation and it, that kind of that's how we let it in so we had um uh, uh a, a lecturer who uh was a mystic uh a mystic fugitive effectively but also, you know, being a lecturer, we had um, uh, uh, a scientist uh, who was basically a lab tech at the college. And then we had someone who was effectively an operative that the whole idea was they were the person that the college would send out. Hey, we need we need this. Can you acquire some? We don't tell us how. We just need these. Can you acquire them? And so we had this. And so they weren't particularly combat heavy. So when it came to exploring the cellar, uh, what I did was we then kind of swapped out again and we just brought in some NPCs. And so we we bulked them up. And so it's just the, the players were remaining the same, but the player characters that they took on, which kind of leads into the scope and scale of what I was saying initially was... Mercy of the Icons is huge. It is horizon spanning. And it, I, I personally, I feel like it's it cheapens it a little bit to just have the story be about one group of players that just happen to be mm -hmm. everywhere. Or, you know, yeah. people think... Yep. And I know, Ricard, you, you put in a little bit about oh, how, how the players end up being the chosen ones, as it were. And that's all well and good, but I don't want to do that. I want to have either the same small group of players. Uh, so I might, you know, when I find some time, I want to bring those guys back, but I also want to open it up to other players as well. Part of, you know, the London RPG community who I still, uh, I interact with quite a bit, even though I no longer live in London. <laughs> um, 
opening it up uh, to be uh, a campaign where people can jump in for a scenario, playing a character that makes sense to be there. And then, you know, they might, okay, I'm not going to be in the next scenario. We're going to have these characters with Almost these. making it like a West Marshes style. Yeah, a little bit like a West so Marshall style. We need to do we need to do an infiltration mission. Let's go and find three people who have got infiltration characters who yep. might be useful yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting because the thing I was listening to or thinking about in the in the end of Mercy Three, you have the portal war, the you know the Horizon war kind of thing. Yeah, and one of the things because I I used to run a lot of Five um, A Adventure League. Um, if you're not familiar with Adventure League, it's a weekly session where you could have six random people at your table and you're all going to go through a mission together. Um, and they do at uh, big conventions. Folks who know me know I love my UK Games Expo. Um, and at the UK Games Expo, I've taken part in um, Dungeons and Dragons uh, epics. And what an epic is, it's a huge multi-table event where what you do during this four hours, your your party will feed successes or failures to a grander, grander goal. And when I was reading the bit in... Um, um, Mercy 3 about the person and I was looking at it and it, in my head is like this is this is a, a multi this is a huge epic event just just here on the table you could have you know this table are going over to help these people these table are going over to help these people do you all play as ship captains and at some point you have a, a captain summit where they all go together and decide what they're going to do to save the horizon that kind of stuff which sort of leads into Jonathan's kind of troop play um, kind of thing and this this is you know the big grand things and I loved it but but where you're talking about like different people different characters changing and changing one of the things I know my folks love is starting a book with a new character like this blank mm. set of numbers um, uh, you talk about my husband's character Silsila at the start of this book and we don't really know much about him and and us as people play as humans don't really know much about our character but by the end of the book, we will know what sort of man Silsila's Mill is. And we'll have got to some of his dirty secrets or his, you know, truths. And mm. we will have explored about how and why he now does X, Y, and Z. And I think to a level, you know, you only experiencing it through one set of eyes might cheapen the grander horizon story. But what we do as RPG players, we, we love this development and yeah. growth. And we want to see this story through these six, eight, twelve eyes. So you know, but, it, it's a. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's interesting. From a, you know, like we we uh, th this fireside chat came to be because I listened to Matthew and Dave, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and Dave was ranting about uh, you know. He wants just to be like on this epic journey, and he wants to be able to affect things, and 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 a little bit of that. And I think it, it but like it comes down to like the the core of why you're playing. So I think uh, for me personally, I uh, years so mutant year zero unlocked something for me uh, uh, because I felt it's interesting when something is about the place. And you're actually maybe rolling up three, two, three characters each, right? And uh, they're dying like flies all over. But the 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 arc remains, and it's interesting to say like when you're gone through on a campaign, the original characters don't really exist anymore, but they exist in the memory of the last characters that you play that fi finished the campaign. So there is something interesting with having 
players' characters taken out and new players kind of introduced, or new characters, I would say, taken in, and knowing about the deeds of the other ones, right? So you can literally kill your players in Mercy 2 if you want to, and then you have people... Yeah, yes, yes, you can take you can kill the characters. Please don't refrain from please refrain from killing players. Um but yeah, you kill the characters and then you like when you go into Mercy 3 or like uh, the build up for Mercy 3, you 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 work with someone who almost saw those as martyrs or you know, you know, you have a different story but they have seen the outside perspective and then you can bring them into the war. Uh yeah. because they in the end it's just the span of the war uh, that you want to you want to get to in the end. But um yeah, and I, I I do struggle a little bit with two down at heel detectives saving the world, certainly <laughs> saving the entire universe at the end of book three. I don't know whether they will. I mean, by default, actually, we we kind of did a little bit troopy, a little bit West Marches, because having run the very, very noirish first section of the first book with, with just the two characters, we invited then loads of people. I mean, particularly for... Um, the trip down into the real um, sanatorium, uh, we knew that we needed some heavy hitters of that one. So that was the first time we said, you know, come and come and join us, but you've got to play somebody who's good good with weapons, good at fighting. And then uh, we we had you, uh, Havima, Jonathan joined us when we needed to do some socialising on the surface of the planet. Uh, Millie, you joined us when we needed to do some jungle wandering on the surface of the planet. Um, and so it's been really useful to bring guest characters in. I've even had a couple of characters just do an adventure when when Dave and um, Tony were away doing something else. And so I think that it really does lend itself as a campaign to getting different player characters, yep. if not different players involved in different aspects of it. And credit where credit's due, Matthew, it... It, when you opened up your actual play and said, "Hey, do you, you guys want to come in and guest?" Like that is what triggered it for me because I, I wanted because initially I was planning, I was thinking, okay, we'll just have you know one group small players will do troop play, like that. That kind of makes sense. But then as you did that and, and the nature of London role playing community, which I'm part of. Uh, you know, I'll put a link in the chat. I won't. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe Millie can. I, I, it doesn't matter. You can look them up. Um, we mostly play online now, anyway. So uh, there's some in person, but it's not a lot. Um, I don't think I'm selling them right now, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, they, we, they have a big Dungeons and Dragons Five E West Marches like campaign called Cantus. And the whole thing was four years ago. It started four years ago, I think thereabouts. They've done more than a thousand sessions now, 11 seasons, where it's all been made up. A group of uh, dungeon masters got together. They they kind of come up with an overarching plot. But every session is a once-off. You leave the town, you go do adventure, you return home. Um, and they've been doing that. They've been building the world for... Um, Four, four plus years now over 11 seasons there have been 11 season finales big things multi-table events and so i come from that background where i'm like cool i want to involve as many people as i can in this game coriolis is wonderful i want i want so many people to touch this to to be a part of this to experience this i i want people that only know dungeons and dragons to experience something else 
and I want them to experience Coriolis because it's different. It's really good. I enjoy that it's uh, human-centric. I enjoy that it's also... Um, uh, it's also very like it's gray like there's good and bad there's no like oh the lawful evil lich is is out uh to kill all the cuddly owlbears in the nearby forest so you need to do something about it like that it's not like that at all um so that's one of the things so i i want as many people from specifically in my instance from lrc to uh be impacted by this game um if anyone from there is listening to this, because I did advertise it, I said, "Hey, campaign spoilers, but come and come and watch. Come and join us, yeah, yeah, um, yeah." So that's part of my driving thing behind doing troop play, uh, cinematic, you know, multi uh, multiplayer, multi character uh, setup of going. There's twenty to there's twenty to thirty uh, scenarios that can be played out. Um, in a particular order, they don't all have to have the same characters, but the players all reporting, you know, they, they all write up and they say, oh, this is what's happened and stuff like that. So you yep. get a little bit of a forum going, people writing it up. So the players get the whole story. It's like they're all watching, you know, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're all watching The Expanse as it plays out, even though all the different characters are experiencing only little bits of it here and there. Uh, you know the Game of Thrones kind of thing, and then they're able to enjoy it. That that's where I'm coming from. That's what I want to achieve. Anyway, I think, I think uh, that's a that's great. So we're great we're running out of time now, yep. um, and I just want to give the last word to James. Um, last word. Is a that... lot to, there's a lot we haven't oh, covered. Uh, Ricard, I'm going to invite you on the podcast. We'll talk about rules and stuff. Let's talk about rules on your podcast. Uh, on the podcast yes. in, yeah. uh, in a couple of weeks' time or something like that. James, though, um, we've had a load of questions that have been coming up on Twitch, uh, which are all kind of, uh, but how do, I, how do I run this? <laughs> so, James, I think you've got some useful uh, hints uh, that maybe aren't as ambitious as the different ways that Millie and Jonathan and I have been running it. Uh, how does a GM run this campaign? Yeah, and, and look, it's inspiring to hear. Like, I mean, it must be a huge for the guys who created Coriolis, for Ricardo who's created this campaign, just to see how much you've inspired everyone to do these incredibly uh, ambitious things. You know, it makes more people want to do these. Incredible, I think that's, I think that's a great sign. But for me, yeah, it's generally I've got the same old role playing gang every Friday kind of thing, and it's. Uh, I'm just running this as a, as a as regular game. So, look, the first one, I'm going to give the absolute cheapest advice ever. But, look, thankfully, we have tons and tons of artwork in the in the books, right? And and that's the first step, I think, is that it's incredibly evocative artwork. Um, just simple things like uh, you're in a spaceport or you're in the kind of docks in Coriolis and a ship comes in and there's Arabic writing on the side of the ship and the, the shapes of the ship follow certain kind of architectural designs. I just things like things like that immediately sort of make people go, oh yeah, maybe I was imagining it wrong, or I was imagining something more generic. So pulling people in with the phenomenal artwork and you know the character, um, uh, the character drawings as well, like oh this person is a judge and this is how they look. Maybe they don't imagine previously before seeing the photograph, they might not imagine face paint, they might not imagine shawls, 
So I, I love the fact that the book does make a real effort to to draw out as much of this as possible. Um, so I think it's that that really really helps in, in setting that tone. And then there's just constant reminders to it, you know, whether it's like certain events at times of day in Coriolis, or it's the fact that people have sugar globes everywhere, or people are smoking hashish, or similar kinds of things yeah. at the table. Yeah. Um, and you want to yeah, you want to you want to plant as as many of those small things <laughs> as possible, especially yeah. the sugar globes. Plant them mm -hmm. well, I would say. <laughs> uh, no, but one thing I actually recommend. So uh, uh, while writing this, I've uh, I've uh, made sure to research all the factions, where they come from, what their history is, because uh, in the beginning the 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 imagery is actually a little bland. It's like it is, you know. Uh, Arabic setting in space, and then we have there is not that much more thought put into it. But in if you look at it, there is like first, second, third horizon, different factions, different social structures, etc. So uh, I I try to actually put all of that into there is an appendix to the third book. It's about ships because it's a war with ships, mm. but all of those go through like why is the expression of um, the nomads, the nomad swarms, like this. And why is the Jan Hagir fleet different from the regular norm nomad swarms? And what what is special with the consortium ships? And why why do the uh, foundation look different, etc.? And uh, I try to blend aesthetics there uh, together with uh, with uh, some background knowledge of each of the factions and where they all come from. And I think. Maybe now, if, if anyone, if there is a GM out there that's listening to this and you haven't played the campaign yet or you are just about to start, I would actually recommend go there, look at that, and actually bring that into your descriptions of the world because that wasn't really created in the beginning, but I, I wanted to have that created for uh, during the campaign. This is a call out to John Salquist to get to and start making Yeah, start, start making ships, damn it. <laughs> those ships, the the illustrations that he's yep. got for the ships that he's made, it's just oh, it's yep. perfect. Yep. Uh, yeah, we, we made sure to work with Gustav both in the second and third book to make sure that some of these, because I I wrote down all of these things years yeah. ago, so I made sure that when he did illustrations for the second book and the third book, he had those prompts uh, for the ships that he made, which is why the ship in uh, Song for Jeroma looks the way it does, etc. How, um, how long have you been working on this? Uh, hi. Yeah, a long time. Since Tales from the Loop came out, I think. I've been essentially... Right, right before Tales of the Loop uh, beta. I don't remember wow. what that was. That's fantastic. That's when I got brought into Coriolis. Yeah, Ricard, if I have a quick request, sorry, I was just going to say, I would love to see, like, maybe it's not that exciting, but I'd love to see just a piece of artwork of the net. Like, it's one of the weird omissions that, like, no one seems to have, like, put yeah, in. Yeah, so I, nice I, I, I agree. Maybe we should poke, poke uh, Free yeah. League about that. I, I actually, there is one image, I think, of the net, which is this weird hull-shaped thing at oh. one point in one of the old books or something might only be in swedish but i think there is like some structure of these beams etc uh, existing somewhere i think um, I what we're talking about yeah it's not it's not great though i mean uh, it would be good that's why i destroy it all anyway so it's like yes. you know there, if you can't draw it destroy it i think yeah. there's one in the in book 2 where in the bar things go up 
where the net is also you know exploding so you see lots of dots around they're all being yeah. exploded as well so you kind of see this whole thing because it is it's 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 far out from coriolis yeah. so it's got to be very small because yep. obviously it's not shown in these illustrations so i i imagine that the net is actually uh it's a bunch of nodes. Yes, there's there's you know things connecting it to make it an actual net, but it's a bunch of nodes that people dock to, and then they get shuttles in, kind of thing. So yep. yeah, we have broken can, onto I the space kind of bus to get out there. We've broken into that to get to our ship. Yeah. I tried to yeah, describe. Yeah, yeah. I tried to describe it when um, in the second book when you escaped Just before you destroy it. Yeah, when it's uh, impounded, when your ship could potentially be impounded if you have the wrong, the wrong. Uh, benefactor i guess can i just quickly say before mm. before we move on before or whatever ricard thank you for your work on this campaign uh particularly like having what you've just explained about how book one was written it's very railroady but it does take you through a very introductory hey this is it like you get to see all the levels of coriolis you get to see some of of Kua, the monolith, uh, the conglomerate, that kind of stuff. I get that. I appreciate that. But also in books two and three, you just open it up and there's a bunch of tables. You've got mini scenarios and like, here's this location. Here are these people. That I love. Like GMs that are watching this that are iffy on Mercy of the Icons, do you want to play it or not? Get the books anyway, because they are full of NPCs, uh, mini scenarios, uh, adventure prompts, things that you can use to you know create your own stuff, it, rewrite it, make it your yeah. own. Yeah, so exactly. that that is a, a, a just putting that out there now. If you don't have these books, I, you play Coriolis. Get these books. You even if you don't play the campaign as partially written, um, make it your own. I would have also encourage own. people. There's the um, free league uh, workshop. Uh, where you can put your scenarios that you write, etc. I think uh, if anyone wants to write some scenarios that actually kind of merge into the campaign, take my snippets because, as Jonathan mentioned, there are, I've, I've tried to put embryos of missions in there for people who want to span the 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 time between the main missions uh, and also explore some of the threads that are maybe just kind of cautiously like that you jump into in, inside of a mission, but that you're running past because, you know, the mission is taking you elsewhere. Um, so if you, if anyone feels like inclined to write any of those, like write those out and put uh, on the great interwebs for uh, other people to enjoy, uh, please do. Uh, I encourage it. Yeah. I have a similar request, Ricard, actually. I think this this campaign now it's like fully realized is crying out for a kind of companion similar to stuff that a lot of Cthulhu they did like Masters of Nihilatheta. Like one thing that I think if I were to run this again, I would definitely have small cards for each of, for instance, just the ambassadors and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. just people would be like, oh, that's who that guy is, that's who that guy is. And they're attached to those factions. And this is what the, the council looks like right now in Coriolis. And as people start to go or as you meet them, people can connect to them a lot better because... There are a lot of people in that, and I think it's very difficult for players if you just meet together once a week and you're like, "Oh yeah, right, hang on a second, here's like four. <laughs> who, who was that person? What did they do? Da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Silver Room are really good for that. GM resources that they release with the Throne of Thorns campaigns. Just mm -hmm. throwing that out there. Free, freely have some experience. Yeah, I was gonna them. say it's the same company, right? So <laughs> that's good. So Millie, your hostess. Have oh, you got I'm any hostess? final words or requests? 
final words or request um um uh um uh, i don't know i i'm i i always think of of playing mercy the icons like this is this is the my game like i know i've got players who are playing the game but i am having as much fun exploring the horizon putting these folks in debt you know doing that kind of stuff as as if i was a and i know we've talked about like troop play and uh, bigger play and changing characters dying it's like i don't mind if six other people come next week and that kind of stuff i i want to i want to carry on like i will if if for whatever reason it turns out like the folks i'm playing with if pete and ben and graham for some reason decide they don't want to play book three i will find at least three players <laughs> and we'll just play it and they can be the you know they that kind of stuff i just just love the the setting in the world it gives me like i want to i want to go over there i want to i want to find out what the circle of the seekers are doing i want to go over there and see what yeah. they're up to and i want to yeah. i want to go over there and i want to see what the you know that kind of stuff and i just love it and that that's like it's one of the few times where it doesn't feel like being a GM is a job. I genuinely feel like this game captures like it is. We're all players. I just know the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. You that, get that to do the big reveals. Yeah. Yeah. I know the spoilers and getting like, I was, I think I was joking on like Facebook and stuff. Like as soon as book three pre-order went out, I was bought it. I'm reading it now. Now I'm reading it. I need to know. And that that's like I don't get that excited about when the next five ebook comes out or the next whatever book. But now nah, I need to know because it is for me. I'm as much of a player in this game as the folks who have created their own individual characters, and I, I love it. Good yeah. job, everyone. <laughs> Thank you all. Cool. Uh, well, thanks everybody. Uh, so thanks on behalf of the podcast. I'll, I'll just I'll just say thank you. Uh, before we start recording um and uh we will invite you back ricard to uh ask you about the mysterious Ooh. missing third section of this <laughs> long discussion <laughs> exactly um yeah. but uh but thanks as well millie for hosting us on garblag games we'll put links to that in the show notes on our thing i don't know how it all works on twitch uh <laughs> you'll explain at some point millie. Alpha, yeah I'll drop over to the fx discord we'll have a chat it'll be really <laughs> Does that awesome. you have to be a patron to do that well, though? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Of course, and which is great. So, so pa pa patronize <laughs> the Effect Podcast and Garblag Games. Boom, yes, there you go. Do all of it, all of the above, if you can, or don't. If you can't, just and, you know, join buy, in. By mercy of the icons and Coriolis. Yeah. yeah, no, thank you. Um, I feel like I talked very quickly, and I kind of took over a little bit, so I apologize, but thank you. I I think my parting word is um, I writing this wouldn't have been nearly as exciting as it has been because I've actually been able to follow uh, Millie, James, and Matthew's journeys uh, into this campaign and in this game uh, and a few other uh, GMs out there as well. Um, I think it is the community that gives its life give it life. Uh, to be honest, and it's also the reactions of the community that give uh, that inspire. So even when people were hating a little bit, 
at the end of book two. <laughs> I also laughed inside and, and felt they haven't seen nothing yet. <laughs> so, so there is this this feeling of like yes uh, people are on this journey and it's very exciting for me to have uh, had the privilege i would say to to allow these journeys to unfold so thank you for that you have been listening to the effect podcast presented by fiction suit and the rpg gods music stars on a black sea used with permission of free league publishing